Stand up, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, O comfort of the Spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. We now come to a new series of talks, which is going to be on the upbringing of children. The last series that, with God's help, was done was on marriage, and we did around 15 talks on that topic. Now, the reason why I did the marriage talks first is because if the marriage isn't good, then the upbringing of children, you can't bring them up. So you've got to have first a good marriage, then comes the upbringing of children. Some people believe that they can have an okay marriage, maybe a shaken marriage, but still bring up the children well. But that's not correct, not according to um, the, the church, not according to our fathers of the church, the saints, etc., as usual for me, one of the important things about uh, introducing a talk is what am I going to say first to set the, the mode for the talk. And I knew I was going to do these talks and I thought from over a year ago, I already had formed that in my head what my introduction was going to be, which I'm going to share with you now. Now, I want to give a warning that this talk, especially today, is going to be quite deep and revealing and it could affect parents that haven't brought their children up well, but it also will affect children who are now adults who were brought up in a family that wasn't ideal. So therefore, if some people have got emotional, they're a bit emotionally weak, they may need to leave off unless they've got help, support from a priest or other people because the talk might knock them around a bit too much. So you've got to be careful of that. Now, for all of you that are here and those who are going to listen to the talk on the um, MP3s and all that, they need to know that whenever you hear something which is difficult to hear, you mustn't fall into despair because that's demonic. You always have to have hope in God. So, for example, some of you will say, I wasn't brought up correct and will get upset because oh, my parents didn't, didn't do that with me. So that could cause you to get upset. Now, others can become hopeless, depressed, and so on. Now, parents... Also, while listening to these talks, will say, oh, I didn't do that, I made a mistake, woe to me, that's no good, what did I do to my children? And again, it's okay to be repentant and it's okay to regret that you didn't do the right job, but it's not okay to fall into hopelessness. You always have to have hope 
in God. So later on during the talk, further on, I'm going to go through what the saints say about those parents who didn't do a proper job or those children who were traumatised and quite um, damaged from the upbringing that they had. So there's always hope and the purpose of the talk is not to make people get upset or emotional and become all disturbed. Always say, well, yes, I did that wrong. Yes, I was brought up like that. But with God, he can take the bad and make it good. And we're going to see that during the talk. My introduction, apart from that one, my introduction was going to be about an incident that happened. A woman rang me up quite a few years ago to discuss with me about her daughter, who had a few children. She was the grandmother. She was very upset because her daughter, in her opinion, and the daughter's husband, her son-in-law, were very strict with the little children. In their minds, they believe that when the children cry, they have to learn, so you leave them to cry for hours. Um, if they don't eat, you take away the food. All these type of strict uh, things that they were doing. And the grandmother was very upset and wanted to know what can she do about her daughter and her um, son-in-law. And I said to her, the first thing is, I said, those children, if that's how they've been brought up, they're probably already damaged, most likely. They are damaged and they'll be damaged for life because that type of upbringing is not good when the parents are on the children continually hitting, shouting, reprimanding, all that, topic, which we're going to hear from the saints. And then she mentioned to me that her sister, this grandmother, about her own sister, and she goes, oh, she was very strict with her children. She really brought them up really, really strict. And I said to her, stop there. I want to say a few things to you. Okay, I want to know nothing else about your sister. I'll tell you a few things. And I said, firstly, um, when the children, which, by the way, the children of this sister, of this lady, are grandparents. So they're 50, 55, because the, the woman's sister was around maybe 75 or something. So she had children and grandchildren. Okay, so these people that I'm going to describe now are grandparents. Some of them are grandparents or at least parents. And I said to her, okay, can I ask you, when the children are around your sister, her children, are they quiet? And she goes, oh, yeah, they are. They are quiet. I said, do they really speak in front of the mother? She goes, no. I go, do you notice that when the children, which are old, when they're around the mother, they've got anxiety? She goes, yeah, they have got anxiety. And I said, and can I just tell you, did the children move away, far away? Yeah, they have. Some have moved to other states. And I think she was wondering how I knew. What else did I ask her? And I said, um, and that the children not only have anxiety, but they've got a type of fear on them when they're around the mother. And she said, yes. And I said, and even though they're old? And she goes, Yes. And I said, do you know how I know? She goes, how? I said, I don't know your, your sister. The reason why I know is I'm describing another 
10, 15 people that I know that were brought up in similar circumstances. That's how I know. Okay, we have a lot of new people here, which I'm happy to hear. Just, um, uh, just so that you know, when we are in church or in front of icons, etc., we're supposed to be sitting with both our feet on the ground. We're not, that's just more respectful. So that way, we show respect to the environment, we show respect to the Mother of God, etc. So, because some of you are new, I don't want to single you out. Okay, let's go now to another example. I'm going to go through, as my introduction, all these little different examples. And then later on, we'll hear what the saints say and how they explain it. The second example is a man who was 25, 30 years old, and every time his father would speak to him and ask him, what are you doing? Well, just general things. The, the guy would start shaking and run off. Couldn't listen to the father at all. And the question is, why? How does it get to that stage? And not only that, this particular person moved as well. First he moved to another country, then he came back, but then he moved to another state. And the main reason for that is to get away from the father. So the father couldn't even say anything to him, even if it was something innocent, he runs off. So how did it get to that stage? And how did it get to the stage of the first example? Then we go to, the, to another example. There was a woman which I was dealing with. Her mother used to complain to this woman. She was an, an, an older woman, you know, 25, 30, and used to complain to her, oh, you don't ring. And so her daughter would say, oh, I'm, I'm very busy. And she goes, oh, you know, you're so busy you can't ring me. She goes, no, I'm just busy and whatever. And it was always this avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. So because I got to know the person, so I was able to say to her, you know what I think? I really think you hate your mother. And she says, me? No, don't hate my mother at all. And she denied that for many, many years. She just didn't understand what I was talking about. It was like I was talking another language. And um, then she began to remember some things from when she was young. And one of the first things she remembers is that she would go to school happily. By the way, she had 100% attendance from kindergarten to sixth class, 100%. So even if she had a bit of a sore stomach, she wouldn't stay home. I wonder why. And then she said, as she was coming off the bus and as she was walking home, she would get sick in the stomach but didn't understand why. Very sick. After some time, she said to me, you know what? I do have a lot of hate for her. She says, I don't want to speak to her because I'm scared she's going to say something and I've got anxiety and I just keep away from her. Then later on, her mum got sick and her mum passed away. So one would think that she would get some guilt, I didn't have love for my mother, whatever. And I asked her, so how did you go you know, with the death of your mum? And she goes... 
I'm happy that she died with repentance, she confessed, she communed, that I'm happy for. But I'm, re I'm relieved she's gone. Now, how does it get to the stage where that person, and you're going to hear many more, that person's relieved that her own mother died? These are the things we have to explain tonight. Another example is a lady rang me up and said um, that her husband is sick in bed, out of it. I said, what's wrong? Oh, his parents came. Okay. And what happened? She goes, I don't know. Every time he speaks to his parents, whether on the phone, whether he sees them personally, whatever, he just gets knocked out, he goes to bed, sometimes for days. What did they say? Did they say something to him that upset him? She goes, I didn't see anything. Because what happened was they bought a new house and he fixed it up nicely. So his parents came for the first time to see the house. And after they saw the house... Then they left, then he got knocked out for two, three days. Now, the question has to be, what happened? And she said that she was with the parents, she was with the husband all the time, and she said the parents didn't say anything negative. But yet, every time he meets them, he gets sick. And I, um, I spoke to the man, and I said to him, um, what's happening, whatever, and because I had a good, a good relationship with him, and he did say to me that he says they couldn't even say, not once, they couldn't even say, like, bravo, like, what a great job, or whatever. He was seeking their approval. Even though he was a man with four or five children, whatever, he was seeking their approval because they were very cold people. They never really acknowledged him. And all his years, he wanted their approval. And he never got approval from them, and that smashed him for days. And that's not healthy for people to be living with this anxiety, this fear that something's going to be said which is going to knock them out like that. So that's why the wife didn't pick up. The wife said they didn't say anything negative. Exactly. But they didn't say anything positive either. They said nothing. They just went, mm, 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 just like that, and then, then they left. So that is something serious, which I gave a little bit of a clue what the source is. And then we go to another example, a young fellow who, he was young, like teenager, and he said that he cannot be with his parents. So what do you mean? So where do you eat? He goes, I eat in my room, they eat outside. I said, okay, so I can't, you can't eat with them. says, no. I said, why not? He says, I can't. I can't. If they make noises while they're reading, it bothers me. Um, I can't speak to them. I can't open up to them. I just want to be in my room. So what they do, they brought the food to his room. He opened up a little bit there and he said that, um, which I helped him to see, because people don't see it. When these things happen from young, as you grow up, you don't really pick up that this is the problem. That's why the girl with the sore stomach, she didn't even know the problem was her mother, because that means that what her mother did to her must have been from, I say, I usually say day one. Well, pretty much could even been from the womb. But let's just say from very young. So the child grows up with it, becomes an adult, 
Sometimes I have no idea. And he said to me that um, he remembers, that was after many, many years, that he remembers that the mother used to be on him a lot and used to say to him, eat this, eat that. Sit like this, comb your hair like this, you've got to dress like this. Um, when you go to visitors, you got to, when they say to you, you want this, you've got to say thank you, you've got to say this, you've got to say... Always on, on, because the mother was very self-conscious. So because she was self-conscious, she was worried about how people are going to see her children. She didn't want them to see her children as slobs or rude or whatever she had in her brain. And so she put all this anxiety onto her children. And it was even to the level of comb your hair like this, wear your jumper, don't do this, do that, all the time. And he said that that's why he couldn't go near them, because he couldn't listen to her. When she passed away, he was happy as well. He said he was relieved. So what were you relieved of? He goes, I don't have to deal with it. I, I, can't, I couldn't take it. So, you know, these are very, very difficult things to listen to. And what I try to do with people is to make them not become devastated because people become upset when they see bad in themselves, some people. Elder Paisio says some people are very sensitive, so they notice things about themselves which they um, become upset with a lot. Some people are a little bit more, as we say in Greek, anesthetic, which means in English uh, insensitive. They don't care much, but some people are very sensitive. So some people, when they see, my mum died, I don't feel anything... I must be an animal, I must be like a horrible person. They can fall into despair. Some people hide it and they pretend that they're upset. There's all these different things. That's what we're going to try and answer tonight. Now, I've got a few more examples. Another example was a girl, a little girl, who was taken to a babysitter to be taken care of, which was a relative, because their mother was working. So the child will eat normally. But if the child heard the mother or saw the mother, she'd stop eating, meaning she refused to eat anything after that. And the problem that that family had was that child was, wouldn't eat, was very skinny, they were worried. So what the babysitter slash relative used to do is when she knew that the mother was coming, she'd go to the window and go, just wait, just wait. She's eating now, let me finish. And then, after she's finished, then the mother used to come to pick her up. What happened there? How did they get to the stage where the child wouldn't eat in front of the mother? This one I witnessed. That one I didn't witness, but I was, that one I was told. But this one here, a child was, little child, maybe two, three years old, was playing. Some other children in the room. And, okay, but then as soon as she heard the father's voice... So she's playing, looking the other way, and behind her is a doorway. So in the doorway, she didn't see it because she was playing, looking forward. She heard the father, just heard the father. Heard the father, and then I noticed she became riveted. She became, like, stiff. And all that she would do was move her eyes left and right to see where the father was. 
And then when the father was gone and she couldn't hear his voice anymore, then she'd become normal again. That child later on, who's now old, now 25, 30, but that child actually said that as she was growing up, that she didn't like when the father was home. She preferred when he wasn't home. A lot of kids like that too. Now, we have to explain that as well, what happened there. Now we're going to go to the room, the famous room, which I don't like, the room. The room meaning where kids, especially teenagers, where they just slowly, slowly go to their room and they stay in the room continually, that famous room. And the parents say, oh, you know, he's in the room, she's in the room, oh, she's reading or she's playing or Facebook or she's on the computer, whatever. Some of these examples were years ago before all these things. And um, listening to music or whatever they were doing, some have TVs in their room. But the main thing is in the room and would not socialise with the parents and sometimes even with the siblings, the, the brothers and sisters that might have been the Sabbath, they might have been cut off from them too. So the mum walked into the room and says, why, why, why don't you talk to us? Well, what's wrong? You know, why? And the answer was, in a really loud voice, get out, just get out, and then the mother would run out. Now, those parents, I think, blamed the bad company, maybe. It was the bad company which made their child stay in the room. Is that true? Or is it something more darker and worse than that? Another example of a woman who had two daughters, and those two daughters in the room, continually. Homework in the room, in the room, in the room, in the room, just came out maybe to eat, back in the room. And the mother said to them, you know, why don't you talk to other people's daughters, talk to them, but you don't talk to me. And what was the answer from the children? Nothing. Because usually those type of kids, they don't speak. There's no answer or nothing. Just shrug the shoulders maybe. So never go out. Just stay in the room. Another woman I spoke to, and she said to me, oh, all my kids are a mess. One's on drugs, another one's divorced, another one's got mental problems, another one's got some other problem. And she goes, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong with my children. Why are they like that? Did you notice that she didn't say, maybe I did something wrong? No. Most parents never say, maybe I did something wrong. Another woman who's having trouble with her daughter and the, the daughter tried to burn her with hot water and um, had to call the police and all these problems and even put restraining orders on the daughter. And then her other daughter also sick and whatever. I don't know how many kids she's got, but she said the famous words, I haven't done anything wrong and they hate me. Why do they hate me? So she's done nothing wrong. So the kids are like that, just came like that. We have another example of a person again in the room, wouldn't speak to the parents. All he would say is, hello, goodbye. 
hello when you came home, goodbye when you left. He would eat in the room as well. And the mother said, oh, he has a very successful job, so there are people that have got mental problems, but they're high achievers. He had a very good high, high position. I don't know what he did, but he was getting a lot of money. So he was successful, but not at home. And the mother said, oh, his problem is because when I was working, I took him to his godmother so she can take care of him. And the godmother didn't give him attention, left him on the chair, the high chair, and she ignored him. And that's why he became sick. And she blamed the godmother for the problem of her son. They weren't allowed in his room, by the way, too, out of bounds. So it could be correct. could be correct that um, it was the godmother's fault. But she didn't have a brain to actually think to herself, wait a minute, I've got another son, who I mentioned before, who also doesn't speak to them, who also eats in his room, who also can't be next to them. But guess what? He wasn't brought up by the godmother. He was brought up by the mother. He never went to any daycare or things like that. So she has to say to herself, wait a minute, the godmother's the fault of the first one, but then my other son, who's got the same symptoms as the first son, wasn't brought up like that. Did she blame herself? No. Later on, when he went a little bit wild, she blamed the friends. Or the drugs or whatever, you know, all these different excuses. Now, another disturbing example. I'm going to go for this, very disturbing, but that's the purpose of the talk, because these are real problems. Most of you will know either it happened to you, or it's happening to your children, or you know people that it's happening to. So there are quite a few, but I think it's important to set the tone. There was a person who lived in the same building as his father, the same building. So the father was on one floor, somewhere in the middle, and he was up the top, somewhere like that. And... Um, the father was on his by himself, and then he would come past the father's unit and wouldn't visit, wouldn't just pop in to see how he is. And I would say, why do you do that? Because, oh, oh, I just don't have time, the famous don't have time. And I said, something else can't be that. I mean, I would be worried because has he fallen? Did he slip in the bathtub? Has he had a heart attack? And... Um, even though he had a sister that was visiting often, he left it all to her. But sometimes the sister might not come during the day or might not come for a whole day. So he would walk past, up, down, up, down, past the unit. Later on, the father got Alzheimer's and didn't even know who he was. But suddenly the visits increased. He was able to go more often to the father who didn't even know who he was. And then 
Once the father passed away, he was relieved that the father's gone. A lot of people relieved when their parents go. It's quite amazing. And these are not just a few examples. These are a lot of cases like this. I just help people to bring it out. What I say is better to admit it, accept that that's the way you are. There's something wrong from childhood. And at least, at least if you can't feel much for your parents, do something for their souls. So in a lot of these cases, they would do for their souls, they would give money for 40-day commemorations, they gave money to the poor, they did missionary where they bought, say, Bibles or something and give it out to a lot of people for the souls of their parents. And as time goes on, if those children who are now adults uh, start to get healed to some degree, then they will begin to feel... But as long as they're in that condition that a lot of them are, which condition we'll see in a minute, not only they can't love their parents, they can't love anyone. Now, there was a woman. Her mother had a nervous breakdown. She used to say to people, "Um, my mother's nervous breakdown is a blessing. Now, what does she mean by that? The nervous breakdown was a blessing. I'll give you a bit of a clue because I might forget to refer back to him later on. What happened was the mother had mental problems and she was very harsh, very harsh. And she was always on the children, on them, on them, on them, very strict, very like crazy bit. She was mentally ill. And um, when she had a breakdown, she became soft. She didn't have that horrible spirit that she had before. And then... The daughter said that she could then get on with the mother. So what I knew is that I knew she was abused from when she was young, but what didn't in my head work it out is how come, compared to the others who would avoid their parents, etc., she would ring up her mother every day, she would talk to her, she would uh, uh, visit her, etc., or she would make a visit her, I was was wondering, how come she doesn't avoid the mother? Why is she different to the others who are also abused, but they, they keep away, she doesn't? And then it turned out, similar to the Alzheimer's case, that the mother became softened from the nervous breakdown. She wasn't the same person as she was when the girl was younger. But one day, when the mother was visiting and the mother was in the kitchen, and the woman, now a woman, uh, was happily in the house with her mother, no problems. But then the mother, something happened to her, who knows what it was, but she started to get aggressive, and she started to raise her voice. And the woman, the daughter of the, of the mother, said that she became riveted. She became in shock. She became like um, stiff and she became scared. And I go, do you usually get like that? She goes, no. What happened? She goes, there was glimpses of what she used to do when we were younger. So when she's knocked down on her medication, whatever, whatever, she was more soft so the daughter could get along with her. 
but that day something maybe she didn't take her medication maybe something happened and then she became scared a grown woman and this woman who I'm talking about who became stiff and, and terrorised was nearly 40 years old 40 years old and she became terrorised so that one is interesting that she was happy, like the fellow that was happy that his father had Alzheimer's. This person was happy uh, because the Alzheimer's case, the father was also like a sergeant major type of person, very strict, very loud voice, etc., and all that. And therefore, when he got Alzheimer's, he wasn't like that anymore. So the son was happier, could visit him a bit more. And the same with this guy. Now... Another fellow which I had some contact with, who's nearly 60 years old, 60 years old, and he married someone who his mummy didn't like, because his mummy had to, had to approve everything and interfere in everything. She was interfering, and, and anyway, and um, there was always problems between him and his mother, because she would never accept his wife. And it went on and on and on and on. And one day as we were talking, because he's got a Greek background, so he's got an accent, and he said to me, I'll do the exact accent so that we can get the effect. And I said, so you're um, still, still going on this with your mum? He goes, yeah, just, you know what? I just wish she'd die. I just wish she'd die. And I said, really? That's what you think? I said, do you feel guilty or upset? He goes, not at all. Just want her to go. 60 years old and the mother's still chasing him. Something's wrong there. Another fellow has to deal with his parents and the parents nag, 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 fight, 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 nag, nag, nag. And um, but very disrespectful towards the, this particular person who's got a few kids, a couple of kids. And he just finds it emotionally draining, dealing with the parents, the parents, the parents all the time. He was abused when he was young. And he, um, he actually said, and I asked him, I said, so how will you feel when your parents pass away? He says, I can't wait. I, really, I just can't wait because I just can't take it. Now we go on to another type of thing. Again, related to the childhood, but you might think, how is it related to the childhood? Well, that's what we're going to see. So there was a woman who had gone through some sickness. So her girlfriend, her friend said, oh, why don't we go out? You know, let's go for a ferry ride or some or ferry whatever trip. So they went out and they went on the train and they went to the ferry and all that. Anyway, so then the girlfriend, the, the friend of the sick person, I said to her, I had a go. And she goes, oh, it was really great. I think she had a really good time. All right? And then I said, how do you know she had a good time? She goes, oh, she was smiling from ear to ear. means the smile was so big, it just cut into the ears. She was ha- and she was smiling and laughing. I go, that's really good. And she goes, yeah, yeah, she was really, really good. I said, well, guess what? I just spoke to her. She goes, yeah, what happened? I go, she told me it was the worst day of her life. 
It's not, it's, not, it's not even funny, but that's what she said. It's the worst day of her life. I actually, it's like I could feel on the phone, could hear, it's like I heard the jaw of the person I was talking to drop on the ground, bang. And um, she was just, as I say, gobsmacked, I think that's what I think the word is. She was like shocked. And she's not the only one. A lot of people aren't showing their true feelings. And I say that this stems from childhood. But what happened to that person? And, and not only that, that person, up to a few years ago that I still knew about the case, she wouldn't open up to anyone. She never, ever, ever said her feelings. Never said her feelings, even to her own sister, to her husband, to no one. And this is really, really bad because when I was watching this program called Insight and they were talking about post-natal, is it post, what is it? No, the other one, the, 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 when they have babies, post, thank you, yeah, postnatal depression, because um, in America they call it postpartum, I think. I had a fellow there with a few kids there and he's, he was so devastated, he says that his wife committed suicide. And he said, on, on national television, he says, I just didn't understand. She was happy. She was, had no problems. And she committed suicide. I had no idea that she was unhappy. And other people we see, life of the party, maybe at school you see them, that they're really popular, funny, social, and later on you find out that they're depressed, they've committed suicide. What's going on there? So what you see is not what is in you. And that's what the church is fighting. The church fights what's called hypocrisy, whether you're shown that you're religious when you're not really, or when you're showing that you're happy when you're not happy, or whatever. These things the church doesn't like because it's called hypocrisy. And that's why all our saints, even the ancient Greeks who were pagans, said that to come close to God, you or to, in the case of the ancient Greeks, whatever they believed in, but, and then, but our Orthodox saints say, to come close to God, you've got to first know yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself. And these people are not honest, and that's why they jump off cliffs, and that's why they commit suicide, and that's why there's all these disasters, and people say, I had no idea. I had no idea whatsoever. And it's true, I bet they didn't have any idea. When you've got someone who's smiling from ear to ear, and laughing, she says, she was laughing, and it was all like really good. I said, I'm sorry, but she had the worst day of her life. Why she have the worst day of her life? Because of the thoughts against the person and whatever, jealousies, hate, I don't know. It's just tragic. Another person that I've dealt with, that when I used to speak to the person, I noticed that she would miss chunks of conversation. 
Like I would say something to her and then she'd miss the first part or she missed the middle part or she missed the end part. And uh, she always would answer wrong and, I, and then she would say, but didn't you just say that? I go, I didn't say that. Because, but I just heard you say that. I didn't say that. That's what you think I said. Because she's got anxiety in her mind. Her mind's working and she's got anxiety. What am I trying to say? What's my purpose? And they make up things in their heads. And not only that, when I would say one sentence, clearly, I might just say, so how was your day today? What'd you say? And I said, you know what I said? And then she would say, how was my day? But I said, but why do you do that? And the reason is because the mother was on all the time. The mother was on her, on her, on her. So that child's first experience with adults was traumatic and she was so terrorised that she didn't develop the ability to follow sentences, conversations, and I think. Uh, and even though she's a professional person, whatever, but this problem she's been able to hide to some extent. Now we come to the abnormal relationship with parents, which to me is, is really ridiculous. A fellow, his father was an atheist. His father hated priests, Greek, but hated them. He was an atheist. And this fellow, who knew all that, grown man, and he said to me, me old man is what he is but he's a human being. He's not like so-and-so, so-and-so's parents, so that. He says, they're all animals. They're all animals. Said it in Greek, but it was like, you know, my old man is what he is, but in anthropos. And he's not like the other people. They're all zoa. So that's what he called the other people. All his friends' parents were all animals. But his father, the atheist, the... Um, the unbeliever was an anthropo, was a human being. He was really good. Now, when you see that in people that have grown up who continue like little children, like little children, whatever they see their parents do, whatever their parents do to them, they still love their parents. They can't formulate in their heads, my father or my mother is doing bad. They can't do that. And that's normal. That's why you can do whatever you want to the child at times and it will still have that thing that, oh, it's my mum, my dad. But then as the child grows up, nine, ten, begins to see, what a second, my dad or my mum's not like some other people. They do certain things. And then 11, 12, 13, when they come to teenagehood, that's when they really have the brains and it hits them and go, oh, my parents aren't what I thought they were. And that's where a lot of rebellion takes place. But when the person is growing up, 15, 16, 18, 19, 20, 25, 30, and they still look at their parents the same way they did when they were little children as being perfect then something's wrong. 
There's something sick there. Now, some of you might say to me, what do you want? Do you want them to hate them? No. No, even though that might happen, and then you help them to come out of it. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that the child has to, as an adult, understand that my mum's got certain problems or my father's got certain problems. And I still have to love them, whatever, but they've got certain problems and some of those problems could be serious, like in the case of the atheist, etc. Like, I mean, he's, he blasphemes, he's, and he goes, oh, me old man's the best. And that shows that those adults are stuck in some emotional state of when they were young children. Another woman whose dad was a gambler, very aggressive, domestic violence. And then she says to me that, um, I mean, the dad doesn't do that anymore, but she's got this emotional thing for the dad. And I said, that's all right. I said, do you think about what he did in the past? She goes, no. So either she's a saint where she's learned to forgive and not be worried about it, which I doubt, or something's wrong. And I'll tell you what's wrong. I'll give you some clues. Is that that person has even got a couple of children and she said to me, I'm a kid with kids. I said, what do you mean? She goes, I feel like I'm a kid. I don't feel like I'm a mother. Even though her children are old now, 20, 25, whatever, I'm a kid with kids. And I said, well, how old do you feel? She goes, oh, around nine. I said, nine years old. And I said to her, what happened when you were nine? She goes, my mum my died. So what happened was that she was traumatised, obviously, from that. No one was around to help her. No one helped her at all because the father was a gambler, whatever, he was out of it. And no one helped her, so she just repressed everything and she stayed at around the age of nine. Her emotional state is around nine years old, even though she's going to become a grandmother soon. And these things really aren't funny at all. These are very, very tragic things which occur. And this is what the purpose of this talk is, is to analyse these things, avoid them at all, to give some solutions to those who are in that state or those who are brought up by parents in that state? Now, some might say, well, that's because a lot of those people you're talking about weren't brought up in the church. If they were brought up in the church, their childhood would be better. But what I've noticed, and we're going to see later on what the saints say, I'll give you some examples, is that I know children that were brought up in the church who have the exact problems as the people that we just mentioned who weren't brought up in the church. In the room, disturbed, closed, antisocial, can't be with their parents, wish their parents would die, etc., etc. And these are children who were brought up in the church from young. So that's a problem. And then we go to the next group and say, okay, well, maybe it's because they went to school, because a lot of you know that I don't like the school system because of the what they do to children and teach them. 
uh, a lot of immoral things, especially now what's going on with transgender and all these other stupidities. And um, so we say, okay, it must be the school. So even if the parents are religious but they go to school, there would be some corruption there. So that means even though the kids are brought up in a spiritual environment, let's just say, but because they go to school, they hear things and all that, it's pretty bad. So therefore, that's the reason. Maybe that's the reason why we have religious kids that grow up to be out of it. Okay, that could be a reason. But then we go to the third group. And the third group is, how about if they're homeschooled? So we have that they're brought up religious, they're homeschooled, so they don't go to school. What do we notice there? Well, much better rate of success. But there are still cases in which those children are out of it. Repressed, disturbed, in the room, can't open up, can't be with the parents, can't do this, can't do that. What's happening there? So, the religious upbringing, okay, but then we've got problems, then we go uh, homeschooled because they don't have the problem of the school. Must be the TV, because the TV causes a lot of mental problems. That's 100%. So, let's look at the children who are brought up in a religious environment, who are homeschooled, and who do not have a TV. Do we have a better success rate there? Yes. But also, there are a lot of examples of people who are brought up in that environment who are still disturbed. So some people say, if I don't let my children watch TV, which is a good thing, they're going to grow up normal. Not always. But they've got a better chance. By a thousand percent. But Maybe if we don't send them to school. Yes, that's very good. But it doesn't guarantee that they're going to come out good. That's the homeschooled ones. And if they're religious as well, one would say, well, that's it. I've got God on my side. I've got the saints. I've got a church. I've got a Sunday school, etc., etc. And yet we see the best example are the altar boys. All of you that have gone to Orthodox churches over the years, you see the, the, um, the altar is like um, McDonald's, which is, a, which is not blasphemous, but it's like McDonald's in the sense that, you know how they go in those drive throughs In, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. That's the way the altar is. So you've got these boys, they come, some of them stay a little bit, some of them stay for a few years, and then they go. And what happens to them? You see a lot of them, a lot of them, 90% plus. They're leading wild lives. They're on drugs. Some of them even have heavy metal. Some of the ones that um, I, I remember going to a church, I won't say where, and I remember seeing these boys from young in the altar. Then later on I went back to that church years later and I saw all these guys that were now 18, 19, 20, wearing black, black, black type pants, black shoes, black T-shirt. And I said, those guys look a bit familiar. And I realised they used to be altar boys and now they're into heavy metal. What happens there? That's the thing. Sunday school, that's another revolving door. You see children go in, they learn all these things about God, nice, and then 
They go and they lead worldly lives. Not just worldly lives, some of them even lead, most of them lead satanic lives. That's how bad it is. So, it seems that being religious or bringing up your children in the church is not actually a guarantee. So what's going on there? And the saints will explain all that to us. So let's begin with the saints. The first section, which I'm going to read, is on conception, pregnancy and breastfeeding. And I'm going to start with Saint Porphyrios. Saint Porphyrios, which is in the front there. Did she put the icon? Yep. Saint Porphyrios was canonised a couple of years ago by the Greek church. He's a Greek saint. And he passed away in 1991. Elder Paisios was canonised as a saint, recognised by the church, and he passed away in 1994. So these saints have lived close to us. Now, I always say, when you read Lives of Saints, the writings of saints, you can read ancient ones, they're good, but you've got to be careful, you've got to make sure you read the ones that have lived close to our times who understand or who have dealt with problems. Like St John Chrysostom, who lived 1,700 years ago, whose writings are recognised by the whole church as divine, enlightened, but he doesn't mention anything about TV because it didn't exist. These saints do. These saints speak about things that people deal with today. So we have to have a good cross-section of reading. We read the lives of saints ancient, even some 100 years ago, 200 years ago, but if we can find lives of saints of those who lived close to our times, like uh, St Nectarius was many 100 years ago, but St John, Archbishop of Shanghai and San Francisco, who the church celebrated yesterday in the old calendar, he passed away in the 60s, and his relics are in America, incorrupt. He lived in our times. And then we've got these two saints that lived in our times, and we have a lot of saints, St Nikolai Velimirovich, St Justin Popovich, all these great saints who have been canonised, but there are also elders and saints who have not been canonised yet, but are recognised by the faithful as holy. Like Father John Christiankin, a Russian saint, who passed away in 2007, a holy person. I love reading his epistles because he lived during the time when Russia was under the Soviets, under the communism, but he also lived in the time when they broke away, when communism fell. So he lived in both times, and he's got a lot of beautiful things, and he lived in our times. So let's see, let's start with St. Porfirios. A child's upbringing begins at the time of its conception, unknown to many. People think that when we start bringing up the child is from the time it's born or maybe when it gets a bit older. But no. St. Porfirius is saying that the child, and all our saints, is saying that the child's upbringing begins at the time of its conception. 
and he says child. It doesn't say a piece of blob or whatever these people that are pro-abortion say. At the time of conception, he actually called it a child. And that he says that from the time of conception, that's when you've got to worry. I would even say go before that, where the couple, before they get married, they should confess their sins, make sure they clean themselves out from all the wrong things that all of us have done from youth and come to the marriage cleansed. And then when you come together, then you'll be blessed. You don't want to have children or conceive children when there's still all these sins in, in you. The embryo, he says, hears and feels in its mother's womb. Yes, it hears and it sees with its mother's eyes. It is aware of her physical movements, her emotions, even though its mind has not developed. So the child, he's saying, senses the movement of the mother, the emotions of the mother. If the mother's face darkens, the child darkens also. If the mother is irritated, then it becomes irritated also. Whatever the mother experiences, whether it's sorrow, pain, fear, anxiety, etc., it is also experienced by the embryo. That's why the church, in the writings, I think it's even in the canons, that you have to be very careful around a pregnant woman, especially the husband. The husband must be careful not to upset his wife, not to shout, not to scream, not to scare her, not to be... And be very, very careful. Now, the church even has a canon which says... If a woman has a miscarriage because of her husband's bad treatment of her, not necessarily physical, but even shouting and her treating her badly, and she has a miscarriage, that man can never become a priest because he has committed murder. That's the way the church looks at it. That that man is the cause of that. So this is a very delicate matter and people don't understand that, just have a baby and they think it's just business as usual. You don't worry about it. Let's do a few classes just before it's born and then we'll go to the hospital, take a few pictures, get the ultrasounds done, which damage the child, and then we'll have a happy marriage together, a happy family. If the mother doesn't want the child, if she doesn't love it, then the embryo senses this and traumas are created in its little soul that stay with it all its life. Even if I just stop there today, that's so powerful. That if the mother doesn't love the child, the embryo, the child inside the womb, is traumatised. And that trauma, he says, stays with that child the rest of of its life. How much, what degree, what happens, 
he doesn't say but that the child's affected. And I have to say, I know it's dad and some of you who are women in this feminism stuff, which I've done a talk, not talk 65, uh, and talk 66 and talk 67 on feminism and things like that, and have the wrong views because you've heard what they've got to say, but you've got no idea what the church teaches. And before you can make any opinion, you should hear what your own church says. Now, feminism has done some good things to do with pay and women's rights, but it's also done a lot of bad, especially to do with marriage. And they were the ones who pushed for these abortions and other things like that. So you've got to be aware of the good and the bad. We go on here, the child's traumatised. Do many of us know that? That's why I can't understand that people are pregnant and they continue their lives pretty much the same as before, which to me is um, very difficult. But apart from that, there are a lot of mothers who are selfish. That doesn't mean the husbands aren't selfish, but I'm just about the mothers now who are selfish and who find pregnancy a burden because they're restricted and they don't like their freedom being restricted and they can't wait to give birth. I remember one woman when she just says, I just want it out of me. I want it out. Eat. I want it eat. I want it out. Out. Another woman who had some bleeding a little bit so it was suggested you maybe should rest. So she had to spend a lot of her time in bed and being, being very careful so as not to have a miscarriage. And later on she said that it was the worst time of her life, another one, because she was restricted and she just couldn't wait for it to come out so she can be free again. Now... Did she love that child? Mm. Well, after she read Elder Porfirios, exactly this thing, she said, now I know why my child's disturbed, because I had no love for it when I was pregnant. So it's very important, he says, if you don't love the child when it's in you, then that child will be traumatised and that trauma will stay with its soul all its life. The opposite occurs through the mother's holy emotions. When she's filled with joy, when she's filled with peace, when she's filled with love for the embryo, she transmits these things to it mystically, just as happens to children that have been born. So when the mother is peaceful, joyful, and has love for the child in her, then she transmits those holy feelings mystically, it's a spiritual thing. It's transmitted to the child while in the womb. In a similar way, he's saying that when the child's born and the mother loves it and the mother's got peace and joy, etc., then all her good feelings will be transmitted to the child mystically. 
For this reason, a mother must pray a lot during her pregnancy and love the child grown within her, stroking her belly, reading psalms, singing hymns, and living a holy life. This is also for her own benefit. This is also for her own benefit. What benefit? Well, she's going to get spiritual benefit because she's doing holy things. And it's true that a lot of religious women, when they are pregnant, they do tend to increase their struggle. Not all of them, but some of them increase their struggle. They pray more because now they know they've got a baby and they want the baby to turn out to be spiritual. So they actually start to read more, pray more, etc. But she makes sacrifices for the sake of the embryo so that the child will become more holy and will acquire from the very beginning holy foundations. So the foundations of a child does not begin after it's born. The child's holy foundation begin in the womb. And the woman has to do sacrifice. Now, you, you will note, he didn't mention Holy Communion, he didn't mention confession. Now, some people would say, okay, well, that's not important because the saint didn't mention it. He might have not mentioned it there. Sometimes when the, the saints speak, they speak, they leave some things out. But they might say it later on or another saint supplements it. Of course, It doesn't mean that a mother should not partake of Holy Communion often during pregnancy and that she should be doing confession, etc., holy oil, unction oil, holy water. Those things are important. He just mentioned some things. We're going to hear from St. Paisus and maybe himself. He might bring that up later on. So during the pregnancy, love your child. During the pregnancy, stroke your womb. During the pregnancy... Be at peace. Don't be terrorised. During the pregnancy, read, pray, take Holy Communion, confess. And, he, and what did the saint say, a great saint of the church, that the child will become more holy and will acquire from the very beginning holy foundations. And there are Orthodox women who do that. Do you see, St Porfirio says, do you see how delicate a matter it is for a woman to go through a pregnancy. Such a responsibility and such an honour. But the feminists say different. What do the feminists say? They're bitter. Why are they bitter? Because men don't go through the troubles of pregnancy. Men don't go through the trouble of childbirth. Men don't go through the trouble of breastfeeding. Men don't get fat after the child's born, like a lot of women, or whatever else these feminists say. All the neg- It's always negative, negative. Today, women are even negative. A lot of women who are in this feminist, they're negative because they've got periods. They're actually negative. Because men don't have periods. Then they're upset because they've got breasts and they've got more chance of cancer. Then they're upset because men can go in the army, but women can't. Then they're upset because men can become firefighters, but they can't. In America, in New York now, I think it was New York, they've now allowed all these women to come in, and they say, no, they go through the same process, they go through the same train as men. And now they've got all these women that are becoming or have become firefighters. But then they had a leakage. Someone let it out. Well, they let out. 
that the standards that they have for women are low. So if you're a, a man or you're a heavy woman and you're in a building and it's on fire, who would you rather come to rescue you? A big, muscly man or a woman? Who would you rather come and rescue you? And the same with the army. All the standards are dropping, dropping, dropping because they want to be inclusive. This is the job of feminism. So, does it mean that they can't do some things? Yes, but they can't be the same as men in that case because God has made men stronger physically. That doesn't mean that women are inferior because women have other qualities. But as the saints say, there is in women, St. Paisio said it, we heard it in some of the talks on marriage, and he calls it feminine jealousy. Women are, a lot of women, not all of them, a lot of women are jealous of men and always competing with men. Women can do anything. Women can do this. We can do anything. Girl power, whatever, mad power, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But they don't stop. And they're always competing with men. Do men compete with women? Some do, if they've got certain problems. But the rest, they don't. Men are men. But women are not satisfied with themselves. And that is not a good spirit. That is something which is opposite to God because God has said women are one gender, men are another gender. And this new thing that they've got now in Australia, which is called the Safe Schools Program to do with transgenderism, it's got one purpose. And the purpose is no gender. They don't want gender. Why? Because God wants gender. And God said they created man and woman. But they say no. No gender. Which means that I would say that uh, a large part of feminism is anti-Christian. St. Porphyrus does not mention anything about the father so far. So does that mean that the father gets a free ride during the time of the pregnancy? Let's have a look. St. Paisus, what he says, if the parents pray and lead a spiritual life during the time the child is still in the mother's womb, the child will be born sanctified. Exactly what Elder Porfirio said, but with the difference, he says the parents. Does that mean that Elder Porfirio doesn't agree? No, he just supplements because I've read other places where Elder Porfirios does say that the man also has a purpose in the pregnancy. He needs to be, that if the man's gone off, the father, then that can affect the baby. So both, but especially the mother, of course, because she's carrying the baby. But St. Paisio says, if the parents pray and lead a spiritual life during the time the child is in the mother's womb, the child will be born sanctified. So the father does not get a free ride. And Elder Paisu says the nurturing of a child begins with pregnancy. Now, some of you are educated, some of you not so much, and therefore the word nurturing, some of you might not know what it means. So what I did is I looked it up in the thesaurus, 
to find out different words for nurturing. And a lot of you should do that too because when you're reading something and you see a word you're not familiar with, you just skip it and just keep on going. But that word, it might be very important for you to understand the rest of the work that, that you're reading. So I looked up in the thesaurus nurturing. This is what it says. Bringing up, caring for, taking care of, looking after, tending, rearing, raising, supporting, encouraging, stimulating, developing, cultivating, assisting, strengthening. So Elder Paisius is saying when a person does that, the nurturing of a child begins with pregnancy. In other words, the upbringing of a child is from the time of conception. If a pregnant mother is agitated and worried, the embryo she's carrying in her womb is agitated. Elder Bufidio said the same thing. If the... And by the way, these two saints never met. They never met. Because Elder Porfirios was in Athens and St. Paisios was in Manathos and their paths never crossed, nor were there any writings for one to read the other persons. And yet they're saying the exact thing. And that's what we notice in the saints. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the same, whether in Russia, in Serbia, in Greece or in America. And that's why they're teaching the same thing. So if a pregnant mother is agitated and worried, the embryo she's carrying in her womb is agitated. If the mother prays and lives a spiritual life, the child in her womb is sanctified. This is the reason why a pregnant woman should say the Jesus prayer, should study the gospel, read the Bible in other words, chant hymns and not become anxious, while others should also be careful not to upset her. Elder Porphyrius didn't say it exactly like that. He said it, but see, that's why it's good to read a mixture of saints. Not to upset her. Then the child that will be born will be blessed and the parents will have no problems neither when the child is young nor when the child is older. So a lot of those examples in the beginning that I read, maybe some of them weren't very good pregnancies. I remember one woman, Orthodox woman, and she had children, and then she says, do you know what, Father? I said, what? She said, I can't wait to be pregnant again. I go, why? She goes, I actually feel grace. I feel grace during the pregnancy. And it's true. When she was pregnant, her face would glow. And there is an experience of this grace because God encourages for people to have children. Well, today, if a woman has more than a couple of children today, I would call her uh, magnificent because it's everyone's against. How many children do you have? Three. Three? If you go to four, then they might even vomit in front of you. <laughs> they, don't, they don't want. But if you go to the five and the six, then forget it. Not a good sign. And not only that, I have to tell you something as well, which is a bit, people might say, oh, he's an ecumenist, he's a modernist. But if you look at the Muslim women, even some of them are bright. Why? They're not orthodox. Because we read it today in the epistles in church that it says here that um, for whenever the Gentiles who have not the law by nature do the things of the law, 
These who have not the law are a law to themselves. In other words, that a person who doesn't even believe the Bible, maybe not as clear as someone who's orthodox who can read the Bible, but the Bible is in their heart through their conscience. And that's why you notice that that there are people who aren't orthodox who could not even be Christian, but they're doing what is God's law because it's in their heart. And that's why you see a lot of Muslim women, who some of them have had a lot of children, who look younger and more vibrant than a lot of orthodox women, who look haggard, really haggard, because of all the contraceptions, which we did a talk on that before. A lot of them cause abortions. And, um, and that's a scientific fact. That's just not, oh, he's a priest, he's going to say that. I think pretty much all oral contraception, the way that they work is that when an egg becomes fertilised, these pills make the lining of the, is it the uterus? the uterus to become thinner so that the egg, the fertilised egg, the embryo, cannot attach. So what happens is that the embryo comes out, which is an abortion. So there are women who are having these contraception pills who are having abortions, could be often, and they don't even know. This is not something which is just, oh, the church, it's backward or whatever. I didn't even tell you what the church teaches. I just told you what they themselves say on their little instructions, that they're not allowing a fertilised egg to stay embedded in the uterus. And that's why a lot of Orthodox women who should, because we have the truth, we have the mysteries, we have the saints, we have the Mother of God... We have all this help, and yet we see orthodox youth, orthodox people who look dark, who are not vibrant, who are not joyful, who are not bright, and because, why? And have very high rates of schizophrenia. There was a study where they actually, one of the highest groups of schizophrenia was Greeks, why Greeks? And people ask me, why? Why is that? I said, don't you know? He goes, no, because they're baptised. When a baptised person goes against God's law, they become worse than an unbeliever who goes against God's law. Why then, some people say, you don't have high rates of schizophrenia with Serbians and Russians and other Orthodox? I said, I'll tell you why. Because... Russia and Serbia were under communism and a lot of those people were not baptised. And their children were not baptised. And when this study was done, it was, it was a while ago, it was during the time of communism. Therefore, when they do sins, it doesn't affect them the same as it does a baptised Orthodox Christian while in Greece, 
All the Greeks are baptized. It's very rare for a Greek not to be baptized. They all go through the rituals. But with all these refugees that came from Serbia and Russia and all the people, most of them weren't even baptized. They weren't even married. A lot of them got baptized later. They had mass baptisms. So I'm sure the schizophrenia rate went up. It's higher for Orthodox Christians. Higher. You've got to be very careful. St. Nikolai Vilimirovich, St. John Chrysostom, all these great saints, they say, when an Orthodox Christian goes against God's commandments, his condition is worse than those who are not baptised. And hence where Christ said, when the demons come out of a person, in other words, when the person's baptised, all the evil comes out of the child and then the demons come back and they see the house of the soul swept and clean but no spiritual life. Then they come back with more than there was there before and that's what that means in the Bible. Their last state is worse than their first state especially when people become baptised as adults, where they're more conscious. They became orthodox, they made promises they're going to do God's law, and then later on they fall away. Those people become worse. The little children become bad too when they grow up, but a lot of them are ignorant. They've got no idea what they're doing. Okay, so the next section will be on what the saints say about breastfeeding, which is interesting. Now, some of you might say, why is a priest speaking about breastfeeding? What's the church got to do with breastfeeding? Why, what's wrong with that? Well, what's the problem? So Oprah can talk about breastfeeding, and these other people on the radio can talk about it. They've all got their opinions. They're okay, you can listen to them, no problems. Who are they? Who are they? Or some of them are doctors, so what? So there's no problem. But as soon as the church speaks about it, it's like, why is that? Why is that? And why is he speaking? He's a priest, a monk. He shouldn't be speaking about those things. Actually, Elder Paisus was a monk, not a priest, and Elder Porphyrus was a priest monk. We have to know what the church teaches because the church has... Beautiful teachings on all topics. Some people think the church is just you go to the service and you come and venerate the icon and that's it. And you get baptised, you take your child to be baptised, you get married there and that's what the church is. But that's not what the church is. The church gets involved in everything of all aspects of life for those who want. The church is the mother for those who want to be her children. If you don't want to be an active Orthodox Christian, that's okay. You can listen to the others and listen to their opinions and read all their material. That's okay. You can listen to those who decades ago said that breastfeeding is bad, that they shouldn't breastfeed, they should just give formula, good business for those who make formula. But what happened? It made a generation of sick children, as we're going to hear soon. So let's go on now. Let's see what 
same by Yusuf says about breastfeeding, and then we'll continue on from there with other things. He says, after the birth, a mother should breastfeed her child for as long as she can. Now, I read in another book of the saint that he said even up to seven years old. I was a bit shocked with that. I didn't know. That's what he said. Maybe that was just his opinion. We'll see what, what the people say. A mother's milk provides a healthy base for the children. Children who are breastfed aren't only receiving milk, they are receiving love, tenderness, consolation, security, all of which contribute to developing a strong character. Now that is very interesting that the saint is saying that, because as I said, for many decades they were against breastfeeding, now they're starting to say that breast is best as a saying, etc. and all that. Now, could he have read this? Does he read magazines? Was he listening to that? He was in Manathos. He wouldn't have those things. So how does he know a lot of these things? Well, I would say that um, he was enlightened. And he says, breastfeeding is also beneficial for the mother. A mother who doesn't breastfeed her baby may develop abnormalities that can lead to mastectomy, which is, a, as you know, a lot of you, it's a operation where they remove one or two breasts because of cancer or something. Uh, and he says when women don't breastfeed, they've got more chance of that. Now, what do the doctors say? What do the scientists say? We can look at that in a minute. In the past, some mothers would even breastfeed the baby of another woman who didn't have milk. So in the past, he's saying breastfeeding was so important that if a mother couldn't breastfeed for some reason, then another mother would breastfeed that person's child. For example, when I was born, my mother, I don't know how long she breastfed before, but in our home, my mother's cousin was living and she gave birth to a girl about a couple of months after me. But the my mother's cousin, she got sick, so she couldn't breastfeed. So what happened was that my mother actually breastfed her daughter and me at the same time. So that's, that's very interesting. This was because of maybe their life in the village, that they knew that this was good. It's funny that people that were from villages that were supposedly backward seem to have known something which a lot of the doctors who were pushing, pushing for all those decades, don't breastfeed, don't breastfeed, maybe they knew something more than what the enlightened, educated doctors and nurses knew. So it says, nowadays many mothers can't be bothered to breastfeed their own children. The mother that is lazy and doesn't breastfeed her child transmits laziness to her child as well. So that's very heavy to say. St. Paisus is saying if a woman doesn't breastfeed her child, the child becomes lazy. In the past, condensed milk, which I think he means formula milk, can, uh, cans featured a picture of a mother holding a baby in her arms. Now they show a mother holding a bunch of flowers. Mothers no longer breastfeed their babies, therefore the children grow up without consolation. 
Who will give them tenderness and love? The saints asking, who are going to give the children, if they're not breastfed, who's going to give them tenderness and love? He says, is a can of evaporated cow's milk going to do that? Right? And I underlined consolation and I underlined tenderness and love, which some of you might just pass by. But that consolation is very very important because he's going to explain something now about that he says their heart is chilled as they fed from a chilled bottle what he means is not that the bottle was chilled it means that the bottle is cold cold meaning there's no love and he says just like the bottle has no love the child's heart also becomes cold. Later, when they grow up, they look for consolation in a bottle, in bars. They drink to forget their anxiety and become alcoholics. If children don't receive tenderness, they won't have any to pass on to their children. It becomes a vicious cycle. Then the mothers come to me and cry, Father, pray for my child. I'm losing my child. So what's he saying here? He's saying that when a child is not breastfed, it's not satisfied. There's something missing from the child. The child's in constant anxiety. It wants, it wants. It wants something. Something missing. And what happens is, he says, that those people become alcoholics. Now, what percentage become alcoholics? There could be a number of reasons why people become alcoholics. But let's look at this, what he's saying. Now, I'm going to expand on that and say that pornography, sex addiction, addiction to food, addiction to drugs... Addiction to wanting money, addiction to look beautiful, addiction to have a powerful... All these things that a lot of times people want comes from the fact that there's something missing in their hearts. And I have noticed that myself when I'm dealing with people. They're very unsettled, they're very anxious, and they want, they want something. They want something to satisfy their soul whether it's alcohol, whether it's excessive sexual things, whether it's pornography, whether it's all those things I just mentioned, there's something missing and they believe that those things are going to help them. It's going to satisfy them. But if you ask all of those people, they're not satisfied. That's why we notice the rich are very unhappy, whether they take drugs, whether they have all the sex that they want whether they do whatever, these, whatever it is, the alcoholics, the gamblers, all those people, they all will say the same thing. They're still unhappy and whatever they do doesn't satisfy them. And he says it's because they do this to forget their anxiety, which is true, and that they haven't received tenderness from their mother which can be from breastfeeding, but we're also going to go on about other things too. 
And that's why people come and say, Father, pray, I'm losing my child. And he's saying, well, the reason why you're losing your child starts from when the child was born. Now, the World Health Organization and UNICEF, what do they say? They strongly encourage now breastfeeding through toddlerhood. Toddlerhood was when they were small, which means the older must be wrong because the older said, I read up to even up to seven years old. So he's going against, because people say, I know what the scientists and the medical people say is opposite to what the church says because the church is backward, they're not enlightened, they don't know. How ridiculous for the saint to say seven years old. He's obviously talking about what he saw when he was young with the, the Greeks. Let's see. Quote from these people. Breast milk is an important source of energy and protein and helps to protect against disease during the child's second year of life. Then it says, our biology seems geared to a weaning age, that is, when the child stops breastfeeding. Are we ready? Two and a half to seven years old. Two and a half to seven. And what did the elder say? Seven even up to seven. And yet, did the elder read? Maybe from Mount Athos, did he have an internet access? I don't think so, because I've been to his hermitage and there was no electricity. And plus, when he was around, there wasn't any internet. Maybe he was subscribing to magazines. I don't think so either. He was too busy doing prayers and that. But he gave his, from his experience of what he saw from the Greeks around him when he was young, and he was enlightened. And he said up to seven years old, and the World Health Organization, UNICEF, say that the child will naturally stop breastfeeding between two and a half and seven. Today, most women don't even breastfeed up to two and a half months. So that's a bit of a problem there. Now, advantages of breastfeeding, I'm, I got this now from a website, and let's see how it kind of crosses over with what the saints say. Now, advantages of breastfeeding for the baby. Superior nutrition, Elder Paisa said that. Decreased risk of infections and therefore fewer incidents of illness and hospitalisation. He didn't say that, but obviously I would say that he would, he would say that. Decreased risk of allergies and lactose intolerance, people running, mothers and fathers running to the doctors, my child's got allergies, my child's got this. But they didn't breastfeed. Breast milk is sterile. Baby experiences less nappy rash and thrush. Because obviously when they go to the toilet in their nappies, that um, it's burning them because they're having whatever these people put in these cans. Who knows what's in those cans? Baby experiences fewer stomach and upsets and constipation. Very big problem with children. Breastfed infants tend to have fewer cavities, like tooth problems when they grow up. Breastfeeding promotes the proper development of baby's jaw and teeth. 
Breastfed infants tend to have higher IQs due to a good brain development early in life because God gave the woman, which doesn't make the feminists happy, but God gave the woman milk. Why did he make a woman to have milk? Because that's what's healthy for the child. Breastfeeding promotes, this is what the saints were saying, mother-baby bonding. A woman who breastfeeds will bond easier with the child than a woman who doesn't. In the long term, breastfed babies have a decreased risk of malnutrition, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, compared to formula-fed babies. Now, a lot of these feminists, they become crazy with this. They go, no, 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 it can't be true. So we've got to, like, manipulate, we've got to change the evidence to suit the feminist movement. That's what they want. They get very upset. And that's why a lot of times you don't hear a lot of things because it goes against them, just like the experiments where they say uh, women who took care of their children compared to women who took their children to daycare. They always say it's the same. But there are many studies which are not allowed to reach the public, which say that that's not true. The children that are taken care of at daycare don't develop and have many problems. That's another topic which are going to come up if I'm around in months to come. I'm just trying to say, just like the contraception, just like transgenderism, which I've explained that not orthodox doctors, not orthodox saints, not orthodox priests, but top professors are saying that children that have transgender problems when they're young, it's a form of mental illness. Many of them grow out of it. 85% grow out of it. And the ones who do have sex changes later on, a lot of them have a high risk of suicide, etc. None of that's out in the public. Not allowed. All hush-hush. So you've got to be careful what you hear, but especially it's woe to, to us because of what we don't hear, because it's been censored, like in Soviet Union and communism. In those times, things were censored. The KGB, they censored. But we have another KGB now. It's called the Western KGB. And over there, it was run by the, um, the, the, these KGB agents, now a lot of the censorship that's going on in the West is run by new KGB agents. And by coincidence, or is it, they're all female, a lot of these new KGB agents. And who are they? The feminists. Now, advantages of breastfeeding for the mother. We just went through the advantages of the baby. Now let's see the advantages of the mother. Breastfeeding can reduce your stress level and your risk of postpartum depression, postnatal depression. A lot of women have postnatal depression. Now, they say if you breastfeed, you've got less chance of that. The baby's sucking causes a mother's uterus to contract and reduce the flow of blood after delivery, because women bleed, sometimes they can bleed a lot after birth. That's why there's also prayers that the church offers to a woman when she first gives birth. They're called first day prayers. And they talk about healing of the mother, etc., and protection of the baby. But through God's miraculous, the way he created 
that a woman, when she breastfeeds, that action of the child sends signals to the uterus to reduce the blood. During lactation, menstruation ceases, offering a form of contraception. That's what they say, that when a woman breastfeeds, she's got less chance of being pregnant. Why has God done that? Because it's a bit difficult to have a baby and then a couple of months later have another one. So God has created this way that helps. Mothers who breastfeed tend to lose weight and achieve their pre-pregnancy figure more easily than mothers who bottle feed. See all these things. The, the worst enemy of women are the feminists because they're the ones that say, don't breastfeed, don't be a slave, give the bottle, do this, do that, and then they worry about their weight. And what do they do after that? They go and have lap bands and operations and liposuctors, they call them, they're sucking out fat with vacuum cleaners. How do they, how does, how, how do these things, how does it help them? It blows up in their face for everything that they do. Everything that they do just blows up in their face. So women who breastfeed will get back their weight. And then some women say, I'm not going to breastfeed because I want to be free. And then they wonder why they've turned out to be like balloons. Numerous studies have found that the longer women breastfeed, the more they are protected against breast and ovarian cancer which is what Elder Paisio said. He said that they have less chance of having these mastectomies. Is that said? How do you say mastectomy? Is that right? Mastectomy. Mm. Breastfeeding is more economical than formula feeding, obviously. Formulas are very expensive. Very, very expensive, and yet people do it because sometimes, I don't know why, sometimes they say that they've read, that they've read, so as soon as they read it, they believe they go, when a woman breastfeeds, her breasts, and it's not, I'm not saying it's a joke, their breasts might become saggy or something like that. And therefore, they don't breastfeed. They miss out on all these benefits because in their minds, they want their breasts not to sag. And they have cancer problems, problems with their children, etc., etc. All these problems occur because they believed when the priest says it, when the saints say it, we flick it off. But when the magazines say it, Women's Weekly or Women's Day, I used to do the paper run when I was young. I used to sell Women's Day. I think that was Wednesday. No, Women's Day was Monday. Women's Weekly, if I remember, was Wednesday. And New Idea. I think New Idea was Monday as well. So, um, and they all believe those things. And that only, some of them don't even check to see who wrote it. So it might say, they might have an old article, they have an article, and it might say, by Robin Brown or something. Who's Robert Brown? Who, who's she? Do they care? No. Oh, yep, yep, got it, got it. I'm not going to breastfeed. You see, that's the problem. And now, let's see what Daily News says. Breastfeeding helps mothers bond with their babies due to a massive rush of love hormone. That when mothers breastfeed, their body releases naturally this drug, which makes them feel good 
and they call it a love hormone. It helps with them to love their children, etc. But people don't know that. That's why I said, who's the worst enemy of women? Who? The feminists. They are the worst enemy of women. Because they're the ones that push for these things. Anyway, but now a lot of these things are coming out. So, it's a love hormone. Or a feel-good feeling, what we can say. It just feels good for a woman who breastfeeds. And that's why that woman said to me, um, oh, I love being pregnant and I love breastfeeding. I said, why? I just, I, just feel, I just feel good. And I look forward to the next baby. And that's why you, when you see on these current affair programs, you see women who have had families that have had six, seven, eight, ten, and then um, some of them have 11. I think there was one I saw the other night. And the woman said, um, if another one comes, I don't mind. And I think she had around, I forgot, about nine or something, ten. And then these, when the feminists go crazy and go, these things should be banned. They shouldn't be allowed to be shown on TV because it goes against their agenda. That women should be motherless. Or if they do become pregnant, they import the sperm from America or some other places from a computer database. I want blonde hair, I want my baby to have brown eyes, I want my baby to be intelligent, musical, sporty, this and that. And so they get this sent to them and they impregnate themselves and for the children to have a fatherless existence. And then the poor children when they grow up become so disturbed that they were flown over from America in a test tube and they go about to try and find who their father is and become disturbed. But they don't say anything of how many of these people and they don't even tell the truth about how many children who have been brought up by same-sex couples suffer and say that it was a disturbing experience because same-sex relationships, they usually change partners continually and there's a lot of violence involved and they want to... They want to know who their real mother is, they want to know who their real father is, all hidden. All hidden by the KGB. Now, we've heard about pregnancy, conception, and conception meant day one. So the elders, the saints, and the church say that there's a baby there from the time of conception, not like what these pro-abortionists say, that up to a month, two months, you're allowed to abort, three months, five months, six months. First they started, when they first passed the law, it was like a few months. Then slowly, then went to six months. And then they went to partial birth abortions, where it went to nine months, and even crept in, some doctors were allowing the child to be born and then killing the child again, the media did not report on it. There was one doctor in America, they used to call him, I think, Dr. Death or something, and that's what he was doing. No one knew. So it all comes in slowly. So let's have a look now. It says what Elder Baisio says about the spiritual life of parents after birth. If the parents, well, I've already read this, if the parents pray and lead a spiritual life 
during the time the child is still in the womb, in the mother's womb, the child will be born sanctified. We read that. Now he goes on. And if the parents continue to pray and lead a spiritual life after the child is born, the child continues to be helped spiritually. That child will become a blessed and sanctified person who will help others in society, either through service in the church or through public work, etc. So it's not just important for the parents to lead a spiritual life during the time that the baby's in the womb, during pregnancy, but it's also important for the parents, both parents, to be leading a spiritual life after the child is born. Now, let's see who's got the greater responsibility. The mother, the father, or is it equal when the baby's born? St. Paisios. Parents are the ones who are primarily responsible because, depending on the kind of upbringing which they will give their children, some will grow up to be good priests, others good teachers, and so forth, and they will in turn help their own children and those of other people. The mother has greater responsibility than the father when it comes to raising the children. Not that the father has no responsibility, less responsibility. He's still the head of the family, etc., but the mother has the greater responsibility because of the bond, the pregnancy, the breastfeeding, the everything. She's the one who's the most important for the child especially in those first years. The elder continues, parents must give as much time as possible to their children, even to the detriment of their engagements and their work. Now we're coming to the time factor. What the saint's saying is that parents shouldn't be too busy, busy, busy with everything else but their children. He says that must give as much time as they can to their children, even if it means they miss out on their own personal interests. And women should lead a simple life so they could spend time with their children whenever the latter required. In other words, they should be available for their child when the child needs them, and therefore they should live a simple life. What does a simple life mean? That they have to be stupid? What does that mean, to simple? It means that they have to cut down on their activities, things that are obstructing them of giving time to their children. Like what? Give me some ideas, some of you. What can a woman give up at a time when she's got to take care of a child? maybe even work. We'll see what, what, what he says on that one. Work, maybe, um, uh, arts, crafts, things, or whatever they do, Pilates, and beauty salons and facials, which take hours. It takes hours. Some of them don't even go to beauty salons. They just sit in front of the mirror and they spend hours on their hair, hours on their nails, hours on their toenails, hours on their um, faces. Now, apart from the church doesn't like those things, but the point is, how do you have time? How do you have time? Where is the time for the children if you're spending that much time? And that's separate to the Facebook 
and the, and the tutors and this and that and that, etc., etc., and all these other things that they do. So what the saint's saying is that that's what it means by simplifying. Now, the elder was asked the question by a person, elder, is it correct for a mother to work? The saint answers, what does her husband say about this? The person, the husband says whatever she's comfortable with. Because if he doesn't say that, he might not get into the house that night. <laughs> right? So he's got to be careful. Got to be a diplomat. Then the saint says, a young woman who has gone to college or university and started her career before her marriage does not easily give up her career when she becomes a mother in order to devote herself to her children. However, another young woman who has not gone to college and holds a simple job will find it easier to leave her job. So if a woman's a solicitor, if a woman's a teacher, if a woman's a doctor or some, high or some CEO or whatever they are, they would find it difficult because they say, I worked for this. I worked hard to make it. And therefore, that to them is more important than the child. That's their priority. That's, that's how they look at it. Now, some of you will say, but can't a person have a career, work, and still take care of the children and succeed? Because we see a lot of women in the Women's Days, again, the Bible, um, for worldly people. The Women's Day says, has people like Ida Botros and some other famous women who were really um, high flyers. They did a lot and they brought up their children. And they say that their children turned out well and they're able to do everything. So women read that and they go, oh, she can do that, I can do that. Now maybe she did do it, what the success of her children, we don't know because no one psychoanalyzed their children to know whether their children are normal or not. But some women are powerful, they're strong, they've got powerful brains, they can do a lot. But that doesn't, that's a few. That doesn't mean all women can do it. So you see, women read these things, they go, well, if she did it, if, if these people did it, I'm going to do it. But they can't do it. They give you force, like this thing. Women can do anything. Can they? They can do anything. Women can do whatever men can do. Now, how come in the Olympics... Women pick up less weight than men in the, in the weightlifting. Why aren't they in the same group as them? Because they just don't have the same power as men. But they can pick up weight that a lot of men can't. But they can't do everything. So these are false messages. These confuse people. And these are the messages at school. Like I had a, a young woman who told me, she was when she went to school, she went to a girls' school, and everywhere... There was posters, women can do anything, girl power, you can do this, you can do that. These are false messages which make people confused. Very, very confused. And when these people fail, because they can't do it, instead of saying, I can't do it, they go to the doctor to get some type of drug, as the saint says, that will help them to get through, to be able to have more energy, to do more things. So they become drug addicts so they can do more, so they can be like the women in the women's day. What for? 
Now, Elder, if she doesn't have any children, I think that having a child will be helpful for her. And the saint answers, are you saying that if she doesn't have any children, she has to have a career? There are so many other things that she can do. Of course, if she does have children, it would be best if she stayed home. Otherwise, how can the children be helped? How can the children be helped? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what it means. So you take your child to a daycare centre. What's the ratio? One teacher to what? Seven, eight? I don't know what the ratio is, but I think it's a bit high. So then the child falls. The teacher's busy with some other children that's also fallen. That child's left by itself, crying. It wants consolation, it wants help. Who's going to console? Who's going to console that child? Who's going to console if it's frightened? Who's going, to con- who's going to console if it's being bullied? And some dodos say, oh, they have to be strong and become strong. Like, yes, three-year-olds, two-year-olds, we're going to train them to be strong when people that are adults can't even cope with bullying. But we're going to teach the children to be strong and resilient. Even the ancient civilizations and even some what we call third world countries, where's the baby? Where's the baby? Strapped on the mother. What does that mean? It means the baby's continued with the mother. Where's our babies in the Western society? In the cot? In a room by itself? Not with the parents, because the parent, because the husband might wake up if it, if it goes goo-goo or something. So it has to go in the bedroom, in a cold bedroom by itself, or to preschool, or when it gets four and a half, take it to school. And I speak to a lot of people, and especially a lot of those people that I just described earlier, that are quite disturbed, and I'm one of them. I remember when my mother took me to school, I remember the first day, all I remember is we went to this thing, which I didn't even understand, I was about five, we went to this, to this place, and we were sitting there. Then all of a sudden, it, then she left. And I went crazy and started screaming, and that's all I remember. So I must have went into some big trauma where I completely cut off. I don't remember what happened after that. All I remember is the door and the glass, and I saw my mother's face there, and I was crying for her to come back, and she walked off. And then I went into I don't remember. And when I speak to people and they open up, a lot of them have the same thing. The, one of the worst experiences was being left at school. The younger you left at school, the worse it is. And even some teachers are saying that four and a half is way too young. That's why they say the, the later, the better. And that children that start four and a half, they never catch up to children that started older. The children that started, say, six, because the law here is six, those six-year-olds always would be superior to the ones that started four. They're under, they're the ones that have started with four, four and a half, they've got problems. They don't catch up. In, intellectually and even emotionally, there's a lot, a lot of problems. Why? Well, the elder answers. Otherwise, how can the children be helped when they need help? The person then says, Elder, many women say they can't make ends meet and that's why they have to work. That's an argument a lot of people say. 
And he says the same answer is, well, they can't make ends meet because they want to have a television, a video player. He wrote this before. Now it's DVDs and other things, you know, and then smartphones, iPhones. Um, their own car, household help, meaning servants. Because people even here, I heard that there are people who actually pay women to come and iron their clothes, to clean the bathrooms and do all these things because they're too busy, because they work, and so on. In that case, of course, they have to work. But they neglect their children and eventually, we ready? And eventually lose them. They eventually lose them. So notice in the beginning he was a bit, you know, it's best if they don't work, whatever. But then when he gets into it, he says it as it is, that their children are neglected. Strangers cannot take care of your children like the parent. They can't do it. They're paid people. Some of them are gifted. Some preschool people are gifted, they've got a good thing, but they can't tend to the child all the time. If the father is the only one working and they are content with having less, then there will be no problem. But with both parents working in order to supposedly make ends meet, sarcastic is being saying supposedly to make ends meet because they can't afford it, the family is scattered and loses its true meaning. Its true meaning. When I came home from school, I came home, I had my own keys at seven, eight. Seven, eight years old, I came home to an empty house because my parents had a shop. And a lot of children after school, they whisked away to another place because the parents might work back and then, they, then they're picked up from there. Then they come all home at, say, 7 o'clock and at 7 o'clock then everyone's frantic, frantic, frantic. Okay, do your homework, um, get the cooking done, um, do this, do that. And it's all frantic. Or everything's just uh, chaos. When is there time to speak to the children? When is there time to do anything? And I don't like these empty houses they're not warm. But the feminists say, no, a woman should not take care of the children and she shouldn't stay home and cook. She should seek her career, make a lot of money, beat men. That's very important, got to beat the men. And that's what counts. But the children, less. But the saint tells us here that the family is scattered. Now, could that give us a clue for some of those examples in the beginning where the kids are saying, I can't open up to my parents. I can't be near my parents. There could be a reason because the parents were never there. They're strangers. And people say, oh, no, 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 it's the friends. Then some say it's the drunks, or it's this, or it's that. 
no, 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 no. If the child's got that problem, it has to come from childhood. Something went wrong with the parenting for that to happen. Children don't turn off their parents like that. And the oldest say in the first, because there's much more we're going to hear here. He says, what can children do? If the families lived a little simpler, they would be less tired and the children would be happier. Now today, couples, well, my parents and many of your parents, when they came here to Australia, their thing was that they bought a house which was affordable, got some loan and tried to pay it off, whatever. Now that, no, 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 you don't, you don't get houses that are affordable. You get houses that are expensive, beyond your means, have this massive loan, which a lot of the couples, they do when both are working, before they have children. So they go to the bank, and the bank, because they want to squeeze everyone for money, they don't say, wait a minute, well, if this woman has a baby, then how's she going to work? She might not work. No, that's, that's discrimination. So what they do is they go, yes, you've come to the bank. How much do you want? Half a million. Yeah, we want to buy a beautiful mansion, whatever. Okay, and how much deposit do you have? Usually nothing or a couple of thousand. So they get these 100% loans. They've got to pay their mortgage insurance, which means more. And they buy these big, big houses. They've got to have everything at the beginning. Swimming pools, whatever. And then later on, one of the people gets sick or they have a baby and the woman says, I don't want to work. I want to, I want to take care of my child. And what happens then? How are they going to pay the loan? So some women are forced because of the loan that they made in the beginning before they had children, they're forced to work when they don't want to. I've met a lot of women who cry and say, I don't want to work. I want to be at home with my children or child. I don't want to work. So what do you do with those people? You could suggest them and say, well, why don't you sell the mansion and buy something more simple? They go, that's okay, but because the, because the economy is bad, the house is worth less than our loan. So the loan might be 500000 but the house might be worth only 400000 now. So if they sell the house, where are they going to find the other 100000 And they're going to end up with nothing. So again, a vicious circle, they're forced to work. Extra. But yet, but yet, they still she still works because why? The 150 is not going to make her much richer. What's so why is she working? She pays money for childcare. She only comes up front. Some families say they only come up fifty dollars more, hundred dollars more. That's not much. Why do they do it then? They don't have much money left over because it goes to childcare. They need a second car. They've got to pay petrol. They've got to pay money for fares, etc. There's hardly no money left, but they still do it. 
Why do they do it? Because they don't want to take care of the children. Because women have said, I rather work, I don't want to take care of the children. They hate taking care of the children. Not all of them, but there are a lot of them. So that's the reason why they continue to go on. Now, I was speaking to a person the other day and she was talking about some of her friends at school. She's a teacher. Anyway, so she said to me that one of the teachers in her staff room said that she only wants to have two children. And the reason why she wants to have two children because she wants to be able to give them more because if she has more, then she's got to share the resources. What does she want to give them? Well, she wants to give them holidays, private education, extra activities like ballet, judo, sports, musical instruments, etc., designer label clothes, etc. So that's, she said that she wants to have two children only because if she has more, she can't give them that. Note what she didn't say. Did you pick up what she didn't say? She said she wants to give them good shoes, designer labels, holidays, uh, all the gadgets, gadgets, etc., all these computer games, whatever. One thing that she didn't say that she wanted to give them, or two things, love and attention. Her criteria was, I'm going to have two children because I'll have more money to give them more things. Another... Uh, a person, another, another person told me about a friend of theirs. Oh, same thing. She said, I want to give my children everything. Good schools, good education, everything. I want them to have the best because when we grew up, we never had much. One woman actually said, when I grew up, my parents were poor and they used to buy me clothes like jeans or something like that, which weren't designer labels. So she was wearing some jeans, maybe from Kmart or something. So what she used to do, she goes, and what I was so disturbed because I used to go to places and I always would sit down. And the person said, why? Because I didn't want anyone to look at the label that it wasn't a designer label. So when I grow up, she said, I'm going to, and which she did, my children are going to have designer labels. So her whole thing is that. And lo and behold, one, one of her children, the son, is mentally ill. The room. The room. Remember the, the famous room? Elder Paisio says, there was a man who knew seven languages and his wife was struggling to learn four. She even taught language lessons. She was a teacher. All that she had to take pills just in order to keep up. So there it is. Now some people take illegal drugs like cocaine because cocaine gets you going. And they take cocaine, which is now coming into Australia, because it gives you energy and you can do more. Because they can't keep up. Remember, they've got to follow the Bible, the woman's day. The woman's day said you can do more, more, more. So they've got to take cocaine or they go to the doctor and get drugs which have the same properties as cocaine. There's certain psychiatric drugs which also help the person. Now, in this case, Elder Page is talking about those pills. But there's illegal things going on too. Their children were born healthy, but grew up damaged. Damaged. And then they had to see psychologists, the children. This is why I tell mothers to simplify their lives 
in order to spend more time caring for their children who need them. That's I underlined. To spend more time, women should simplify their lives because the first years of a child is more with the mother. Doesn't matter what these feminists say, that it's both, it's equal. Doesn't matter if it's equal. Like the woman breastfeeds and she shares with the husband and he does it a bit. It doesn't work like that. It's not equal. The woman has the greater burden in the beginning for the first years of the child's life. And he says, simplify the lives, spend more time with your children who need you. They can also have some other activity to do at home when they get a little tired with the children. So the elder, like a social worker, enlightened, actually knows that a woman just taking care of the children all the time will get tired. And he actually says, well, obviously they're going to need a little bit of another activity, some other little interest to help them sometimes not to be continually all the time with the children. It doesn't mean that they're going to go and do all these extracurricular activities and things like that. So they need some time out. That's where the husband comes in. Okay, you do your, your whatever you want to do. I'll take care of the children. There's, 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 that's what we call support. The, the mother can't be every minute with the children. And he says that. So they need sometimes a little bit of another activity. Sometimes I even tell mothers, look, you want to go to church? She goes, yes. Does the child drive you mad sometimes? Because it just doesn't settle down? Yeah. Leave the child at home with the husband. But, but, but he won't commune. It doesn't matter. That's okay. We'll commune next week. You go to the church by yourself, relax, then go out with a friend and go to whatever you want to go to Gloria Jeans and get a coffee and relax a bit, go for a walk and then come back. There's no need for the whole family to go to church all the time when it can't be done. What's the point? The child's tormenting. The child doesn't have to go to church all the time. They can go certain times. Sometimes a woman needs that break. She can't be at home and then go to the church and hold the child and the child's going crazy in the church and tormenting her. You've got to have some brains. You can't just uh, do these things. Anyway, they can also have some other activity, yes. When the mother's at home, she can closely watch after her children. She can regulate family life and avoid many problems and worries. What's that regulate family life? Because she's there, she's at home. She's not running back with the train and coming in the traffic and all frantic and then coming back and then trying to get some order in the house. She's already there. So she can what's called regulate the house, make sure the food's okay, make sure everything's up and running, make sure that the husband comes, he supports her, and there's a smooth running house. But that's why there's all these, what we call in Greek, nevra, nervousness, anxiety. You can't come back at 7 o'clock in the night and expect the house to run smoothly. Can't be done. It won't run smoothly. And that's what the saint's saying. And he says here, and avoid many problems and worries. What problems? Problems that the children are going to develop and problems and worries that occur because you're not there. I even say, it's not like a joke, but it's a thing where they've got this thing now that a lot of houses have mould. Mould, a lot of problems with mould. Mould in the bathroom, mould on the wall, and they go, what's going on? 
And then um, I thought about it and I go, why is the houses different? How come they never had mould before? Why is this a big problem now? And I, just, and I worked it out because no one's home. The windows are shut all day, all day. And then if you come back in the winter, you're not going to open up the windows unless you want to become an iceberg. So you have the windows closed. So the windows are closed all day. They come home in the winter all night and there's no air. But when the woman's home, she opens the windows, she lets the air flow through, etc. There's life in the house. Now there's no life in the house. It's just this house with the windows that look like droopy eyes because it's sad because there's no one home. No one's home. Knock, knock, who's there? No one. No one's there. And that's why there's all these problems and people have to go to doctors and have nervous breakdowns, etc. Because they're trying to do too much. I just think it's just horrible. And that's what the saint says. And he says at the end, nowadays children don't get enough maternal love. Why? Because the mother's not there. That's why. The mother's piety, says St. Paisios, in other words, her spirituality, has great significance. If the mother has humility and fear of God, then family life is smooth. What I said before. So if the mother's staying home, trying to take care of the children, leading a spiritual life, then I love that. The family life is smooth. That word is unheard of today. You don't say smooth. The family life is not smooth. Because the, the mother, is, in particular, is not leading a spiritual life, for both parents, but the mother, we're talking about the mother now, because she's too busy. Hasn't got time to pray, get up, takes the children to um, preschool or school if she has to, then rushes here, rushes there. What a life. I call that a torture. That's a torture, I really do. And women themselves say it, that it's a torture. I just, that's not me. And that's why there's this big movement and the feminists are saying, what's happening? And they're pulling their hair, their short hair, they're pulling it and they're saying, what's going on? Why, why, why are these women saying after all these years of our propaganda, women are to work, women are to have careers, dump their children at the grandmother's place or the preschool, take them to school as early as possible. And now there's this big movement of women saying, I don't want to do that anymore. Women themselves are saying that. And the feminists are saying, what's happening? Just like the anti-royalists, the ones that are against the monarch, they don't want the monarch for Australia. And then they say, every time they come here, because they do their propaganda, they say, no, 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 we should be independent, we should be a republic, we should do this. And then they say, every time um, Katie, and what's the other one, the husband's name? William, William comes, or every time the Queen comes, they, these Republicans say, uh, pro-republic, they say, it puts us back 10 years because it, it rejuvenates the, the people to say, oh, we want the monarch, we like the Queen, we like the, the royal couples and all this type of stuff. So it's the same with this. Then we've got the feminists who have been using their propaganda for years. Women, 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 work, have your careers, make sure you, have, you get up high, make sure you compete with men, make sure you don't have children if you do have a couple or one, and make sure you don't take care of them. 
And yet women are saying, no, I don't want that. I don't want that anymore. They say, I, I want to take care of my children. I'm sick and tired of this. I'm not going to break my back just to make the Women's Day people, editors happy. That's what they say. So a lot of women are starting to rebel. And the poor feminists, they're getting upset. And then the elder says, I know young mothers whose faces shine. Even though they have no one to help them, they're on their own, they're, which is difficult, meaning they don't have help, like parents maybe or something like that. I can understand a mother's spiritual state by looking at the children. So the elder looks at the children, he sees them happy, he sees them mentally balanced, he sees them bright, and he says, for them to be like that, that means the mother's spiritual. Elder, are only the parents responsible for a child's upbringing? Then the saint says, parents who give birth to children and give them a body need to contribute as best they can towards their spiritual rebirth. You don't just give a body, because most parents think that all they do is give a body. But that's not what the Orthodox Church says. You give your children a body, but they've also got a soul, and a soul needs to be taken care of. So a, parent's, um, a parent is responsible for the spiritual development of their child. If a person is not regenerated spiritually, he is bound for hell. And I put this in... Because people say, oh, the saints don't mention it. Like a lot of saints that I met, because if I say hell, they go, he's a bad priest, he's scaring people, he's this and that. And yet we see the saints say, if you don't spiritually give rebirth to your children, but you bring them up like animals, like animals don't spiritually give anything to their children, they just feed them, take care of them. And when the children get a bit older, they knock them out of the nest or whatever. Goodbye. But they're saying here that the children are not animals. Animals have souls, but they don't have immortal souls. We have immortal souls. And therefore, it needs to be taken care of by the parents. And if the children don't have this spiritual rebirth, he says, then they're bound for hell. How are they going to be saved? Also, that which parents cannot do themselves for their children should be entrusted to teachers. This is why our church in her prayers refers to, quote, our parents and our teachers. There are also spiritual fathers who, although they may not have children of their own, can assist in a positive way with the upbringing of children since it is they who labour for their children's spiritual renewal. So, what the parents, some parents can take care of their children spiritually because they're spiritual themselves. But some parents in the beginning of the first years of the spirit, they need help. And they get help either from teachers, spiritual, like spiritual teachers, and priests. Now, I've dealt with people who are competent. Some of them are quite good, and they take care of their children, whatever. But the majority cannot, because they've got problems from their own childhood, like the saints said, if they didn't receive love, how are they going to give love? So therefore they need help for the upbringing of their children. And they get help from teachers who, for example, some parents are uneducated or they just don't know much about the church. They go to scripture classes or something like that to learn some things, even though you've got to be careful because sometimes 
the church is desperate and they choose any one of those scripture classes and some of them are not very good. And you go to priests that can help with the upbringing of children. One of my biggest things that I do continually as a priest is that, is just continually parents asking questions about the children. And St. Paisio says, even if the spiritual father does not have children of his own, because he's a monk, say, but he can still help in a positive way with the spiritual upbringing of the children because he is involved in labouring for the children's spiritual renewal. Because this priest wants the children to be reborn spiritually to come to the church. So he's involved with that. So therefore he would be caring for the children. And that's why people say, well, what does a monk know and what is this, what is that? Most of our great saints, if they lived in our times now, the ones that were involved a lot with families, with children, with uh, people of the world, the majority were priest monks or abbesses, even abbesses. But then how? If they haven't got children, how are they going to give advice on children? You don't have to give birth to children to know how to help parents with their children. What's the priesthood? What's the enlightenment? But some people don't want help. One person years ago, I remember a woman used to ring up quite a lot for get advice on, for the children. And she would say, what do you do for that? And I would give her, I said, well, I think that, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. And one day she exploded. And I said, where did that come from? And she said, far out. Far out. I said, what's wrong? She goes, I read all the magazines. I read all the children's books. And yet you don't read them. And yet you're giving me the answers that are in those books. I said, well, what's wrong with that? Isn't that good? I'm helping you. And she goes, but far out. She was bothered because I knew things that she had to read thousands of books to do. That's okay. If she wants to do it her way, she can read the book. She can help her own children, which she failed at. And then she can, um, or she can get some help. That's what she said. And she was bothered. And there's a lot of mothers that I deal with who are bothered when I help them with their children because it's like they say, well, how does he know? By him telling me how to take care of my children, it shows that I'm stupid or I'm dumb or I'm a bad mother. Just really strange ways of thinking. Instead of using the priest and saying, please help, they, they, they get bitter. What I'm trying to say, the saint says, is that everyone, including I'll put in relatives and friends, should help the children, each person in his or her own way, with their good example, so that the children may be renewed, live peacefully in this life, and ultimately go to paradise. So he says, it's the parents, it's the priest, it's the teachers, but also those around us, that the children, sh you should make sure your children are around people who are good examples. All that helps with the spiritual renewal of children. If you're associating with people who aren't good examples and your children are very young, they're like sponges. They're going to absorb what they see and what they hear. So that's why you've got to hang around with people who are good examples.
St. Paisus goes on to say now about uh, one can see that some military officers who are used to giving harsh punishments upon their disobedient soldiers want to give by force the same kind of military discipline in the family, treating their children harshly and even beating them for the smallest wrongdoing. Or some people who work in the court system even hold trials at home if a child does something wrong. They don't treat their children with affection and love and that is why they have psychological problems later. Now, of course, that's extreme examples, which is the military officers and it's extreme examples for the people that work in the court and they hold courts at home. But this is also the case for a lot of people, ordinary people, who are very, very strict with their children, forcing them, um, treating them harshly and even beating them for small things. And he says that people who are brought up like that, he says they don't treat their children with affection and love. Those two words are very important, which we hear continually what we've already heard. Children need to be brought up with affection and love. And that's why they have psychological problems later on in life. Now, a lot of those examples that I read in the beginning, which some of you got disturbed about, and rightly, things went wrong with those people, including myself and many of you. So I'm not saying that... To me, I've been dealing with people now, I've been a priest for 25 years, and I've dealt with a lot of people. And I can safely say that I have not come across a person who doesn't have psychological problems, including myself. As I said, school experience, my parents had shop. Does that mean I got time? Does that mean I was brought up uh, with love and affection? I don't think so. Now, I can blame my parents, which I did. When I came to the church, my eyes opened up somewhere and I started reading things and I go, my parents didn't do this. My parents didn't bring me up like that. And I got angry and I got upset and then I had fights with my parents and said, but you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, which a lot of you probably have done or will do. It's a natural reaction because we realise that a lot of our problems come from our upbringing and who brought us up? Our parents. So who's the first person, people we blame is our parents. So what happened was that, so I was on that thing because no one explained to me much when I first came to the church, I was around 25. So I was going for a walk one day to the seaside and I was thinking about my problem, which most of us who are not developed spiritually, we are centred on ourselves. The more someone's centred on themselves, the more we know that they're not very spiritual. The more a person becomes spiritual, the more the person looks at others. That's why Elder Paisios, Elder Porfirios, a lot of our, all our saints, they all had this thing of loving others, helping others. But people who are not spiritually progressed, it's always them. Now about me. It's me. I'm me. Look at me. Look what's happened to me. And as I was thinking about that in the first years of my life, of my spiritual life there, and 
by me and my parents. And then suddenly something dawned on me. And then I had the thought which came to me, which was, well, if my problems come from my parents because they didn't bring me up properly, then how do I know that their parents didn't bring them up properly? And then I just, it all scattered away and I began to think, well, the saints, many of the saints were brought up by bad parents, one can say, like uh, we have a Russian saint, Theophil, the fool for Christ. His mother tried to kill him. She didn't want him. And she tried to drown him in the river, etc. And then some people took him and uh, he became a saint. And we have many of our saints who were involved in satanic rituals from pagan times. They were abused, sexually abused. They were um, abused physically. Horrible. And yet they became saints. It didn't stop them of becoming saints. And that's when I stopped to say, well, wait a minute. It doesn't matter about what the parents did. It's happened, it's happened. The church gives us an opportunity that even with those problems, we can still become saints. We can still be saved. And that dispersed that idea of blaming the parents. Now, Colossians chapter 3, line 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children so they will not become discouraged which is what Elder Pais was saying and what Elder Pais says. When you are provoking your children, being too strict with them, shouting at them, you can make them angry and they will become discouraged. Discouraged, what does that mean? Like depressed, problems? This is exactly what the Bible says, which confirms what the saints are saying. Another one, Ephesians chapter 6, line 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, don't be harsh with your children. Don't provoke them because they're going to react. They're going to become angry. They're going to lose heart. They're going to become discouraged. And they're going to have problems, what we call today psychological problems. Maybe the Bible didn't use the word psychological problems, but psychological just means psychologika, which is a Greek word, which is psyche means the soul. The word psychology comes from the word psyche, which is soul. So the true meaning of psychology is not just the study of the mind. The true word of psychology is the study of the soul, which is what our Orthodox fathers have given us. The psychologists of today, they limit themselves to the mind. They don't believe in demons, they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in grace. A lot of them don't believe in those things. And they're, and they're limited to the mind. But the Orthodox Church does not limit the study of the soul to the mind, but it involves the whole soul, everything, the passions, everything. So... Fathers do not provoke, in other words, fathers do not embitter, another way of saying it. Fathers do not aggravate, another word of saying it. Fathers do not anger your children so they will not become discouraged, in other words, so they don't lose heart. Now, that was what Elder Pais says, that when at home there's missing affection and love, the children will grow up with psychological problems. 
Let's see what Elder Porfirio says. Remember, these two saints never met. Parents, especially the mother, often cause hurt to a child for some act of misbehavior by scolding it excessively. Now, what does scolding mean? Reprimanding, telling it off, discipline, harshly, excessively. And we miss the word excessively. Does it mean that a mother cannot scold a child if it does something wrong at times? No, it doesn't say. He says excessively. And sometimes for things that are small. If you're telling your child off for every single thing, then when it does something really serious, like goes towards drugs or goes to touch the gas stove, for example, or something which is, it depends on how old it is, then because you've yapped, yapped, yapped all the time, the child's not going to listen to you. See, sometimes you've got to ignore behaviour. You can't all the time be saying, don't touch that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. It because the child turns off, it doesn't listen. One mother said to me, my son, he was about 10, my son doesn't listen to me. I tell him, and he doesn't listen. I said, can I ask you something? You know when you discipline him, do you do that while you're in the kitchen cooking? She goes, yeah, I call out and I tell him this, I tell him that. I said, that's why he doesn't listen. You know, it doesn't listen because you yap, yap, yap in the background. The child just turns off, doesn't listen. When you talk to a child and discipline the child, you're supposed to look the child in the eye and you say, look at me, look at my eyes. Look at me, I'm speaking. And then you speak to the child. Then you ask the child to repeat it back, make sure the child understands. And then you give the child love and say, I'm doing this because I love you. So that thing of just, like you're in the kitchen or as you're walking past the lounge room, the child's doing something, you go, don't do that, and you're walking into the bedroom. Or go to your room. And then by the time she comes back, she even forgot what she told the child, and the child knows that, doesn't listen. That's why children don't listen. So when you hear a child doesn't listen, it's because of that. The child is then wounded. So when you tell off the child excessively, especially for little things, whatever, all the time and too much, then the child is wounded. Elder Pesos actually says psychological problems. But let's see how Elder Porfirio says. Even if you don't scold the child outwardly, but become irritated with anger inwardly, so in other words, you're angry from within, or look fiercely at the child without shouting, just that your face is deranged, the child understands. The child understands that the mother is upset, is angry. The child believes that its mother doesn't love it and asks, do you love me, mummy? The mum answers, yes, dear, but the child is not convinced. It has been wounded. The mother does love the child and she'll caress the child, or cuddle it and kiss it later. But the child will pull its head away. It refuses to be hugged, kissed, regarding this as hypocrisy because it has been wounded. Now, that's how much the saints place an emphasis on how you discipline the children. As a teacher, when, when I was a teacher, and then I had to learn, it took me a few years, when you punish children, you don't punish them to, to let out your own frustration. You don't punish the children so that 
you can feel better or revenge or anything like that. You punish the children to correct them, but also to be an example for the other children. It took me a few years to work that out, and I actually worked it out better when I got into the church, because for the first years of my teaching career, I was outside the church, then I came to the church. So in my first years, I used to use harsh punishments, but later on when I came to the church, I understood that punishment must be when necessary, etc., and to be for the correction of the child, for the child's benefit, and for the benefit of the class. And that's the same when you punish children or when you scold them. It's got to be you're doing it not because you're angry, not because you're frustrated, not because you are upset because the child spoiled your day or whatever, it's irritating you, because you want to correct the child so that the child can grow up better or as an example for the other children in the family. And a lot of people don't know that. Now, he says here, the saint says that even the way you look, if you look deranged, the child picks it up. Now, I have seen examples of children, depending on their psychological makeup, who, when the parents do scold them excessively, later on they can go up and hug them and the child can calm down and become peaceful. It's very forgiving. But it depends on the psychological state of the child. Some children are stronger. Some children are weaker. It could be that they're weaker because of hereditary, because there's mental illness in the family. It could be because of what happened to the child while it was in the womb. It could be because it wasn't given love and affection when it was born and breastfed, etc. That child would have a lot of problems. So that child, as a bit later on, can become really sensitive and wounded and disturbed. So it depends. So if you've got a child who's genetically got mental illness, a child who, whose mother wasn't very good when she was pregnant, and then you got also didn't breastfeed or didn't take care of the child, then that child will be, and that's not, I'm not saying in a negative way, but it's the truth, a mess. And that's why some children are worse than others. Some you can tell them off, and then when you've realised you've been too excessive, you go, come here, come here, and you hug them, you kiss them, and they're happy straight away. And other children, they're not happy. They're wounded, and they could be wounded for weeks. They'll remember that. So let's have a look at the next um, thing. For a child to be disobedient, this is Elder Paisios, for a child to be disobedient and to behave badly, something's wrong. Obviously, something's wrong. There's obvious, why is the child behaving badly? There's a lot of reasons, of course. What could be is the child's hungry, could have a sugar low, the child didn't sleep properly because parents are incompetent and they don't understand the children need a certain amount of sleep. They let the children watch TV, which they shouldn't, for hours. Then the child's too stimulated, can't sleep. Something could have happened at school, so it's traumatised. No one was there to help because the mother's at work or whatever. And then... There's a number of reasons why a child could be misbehaving. A number of reasons. So the elders write, something's wrong. Sometimes parents are lazy and they don't even think, why is my child disturbed today? Sit down. 
what happened, what's this, what's that, etc. And then might open up. Someone bullied me at school. Or um, uh, the teacher, I got a bad mark or whatever. There's a lot of reasons. And you've got to look out for the sleep and you've got to look out for the food and you've got to look out for the child is not too stimulated. And other reasons too, like bad examples, parents fighting, which we're going to hear in a minute. It could be that he witnesses unpleasant scenes or his quarrels, either in or out of the house. In any case, in spiritual matters, children are helped mainly by the example we set, not by force. So he says there's something wrong with the child mucking up, and because it, it could be, as I said, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons, which is very important that parents don't understand, is because the child has witnessed unpleasant scenes or his quarrels either at the house or outside the house where it could be at the day school it could be at school it could be at a relative's place it doesn't matter children become traumatized when they see people fighting arguing they don't understand it properly like we're adults we don't understand oh there's a misunderstanding oh there's a temptation children don't understand that they get traumatized at that time they need consolation they need someone to help the child calm them down. If you're not there to calm the child down, to help the child, that child will internalise all the problems and it will come out to be really seriously mentally ill. In fact, the mother can help the most through her example with her obedience to and respect for her husband. Now, some of you haven't been before. I've explained all this in the talks behind what that means, what does obedience mean, what does respect mean. It's not what you think, but I, can't, I haven't got time now. You can hear it all in those previous talks, what that means. But the mother's examples are important. If she happens to have a difference of opinion with him, with her husband, on a particular subject, she should never express it in front of the children and give the devil rights to take advantage of the situation. So the husband says something wrong. Or vice versa. I mean, sometimes the woman could say both. Anyway, let's look at the example here. The husband says something wrong. She shouldn't put down the husband in front of the children. She should wait for time for later on and do it privately, not to fight in front of the children because the devil will take advantage of the situation. What does that mean, take advantage of the, of the situation? Well, the child becomes disturbed and a disturbed child becomes more vulnerable to demonic influences and that's what he means she should never diminish put down the child's the children's opinion of their father even if he's wrong she should excuse him if for example he behaves badly she can say to the children your father is tired he had to work very hard to finish something urgent he's working hard for you so you try to not let the children know that there's friction. I've spoken to a lot of children that grew up. I mean, I didn't see my parents, the fighting business. That was one thing I was spared. But I know that a lot of people who are adults now who were absolutely traumatised because they saw their parents fighting. Absolutely. And especially it's really horrible when they put each other down. That's like you're stabbing your child with a knife. A lot of parents fight in front of their children and set a bad example. 
The poor children are confused and saddened. The poor children are confused and saddened when they see their parents fighting. Then the parents, in order to comfort them, fulfill all their demands. The father sweet talks the child, saying, Oh, my precious child, what would you like me to buy you? Because he's guilty. Some parents do that. You see, I always know that when a parent gives a lot to their children, to me it indicates one thing, that that parent's guilty that it's not taking care of the child. So it tries to give the material things to make up. Either it lacks attention, love, care. So they buy all these toys or buy whatever they do to make up for their guilt of their lack for their children. Then the mother sweet talks the child as well, and in the end the children grow up with antics, in other words they use tricks to try and get things, faking, in other words they pretend things, they pretend, maybe they even pretend that they're upset sometimes, so if the parents cannot give them whatever they ask for, they even threaten to kill themselves, because they're so used to getting whatever they want. And a lot of it comes from guilt. If a person loves their children, is giving their children affection and love, as it says, time, like we've heard tonight, the children are satisfied in their soul. They don't need that rubbish. They don't need a lot of that stuff. That stuff the children need because their, th- their soul is thirsty and they want something to fulfil it. And because they didn't get it from their parents, they think the iPads are going to help them, the Xbox is going to help them, and everything else that they do. But they're not satisfied. And that's why they go on drugs later on and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol that teenagers take, some people say, oh, it's because of peer pressure. It's a little bit of that. But most of all, it's because they're empty. They're empty and they can't take the pain. They can't take the anxiety and they want to kill it. They want to suppress it. So they take all these things. That's why a lot of them take it. And they don't want to be at home either. St. Porfirios. Generally, the parents are to blame for the bad behaviour of the children. He says the same. Exactly what Elder Porfirios says. And their behaviour is not improved by... The children's behaviour is not improved by reprimands, discipline or strictness. So when you see that something's wrong with the child, automatically you think, I've got to give more discipline. I've got to reprimand the child more. And he's saying that's not going to work if the children are acting up because of what they see the parents doing, which is fighting and not loving each other, etc. You can't fix that up with that, he says. If the parents do not pursue a life of holiness, and if they don't engage in spiritual struggle, they make great mistakes and transmit the faults that they have within them to their children. So whatever the parents have, If they're not working on it, trying to improve, that gets transferred to the children. If the parents do not live a holy life and do not display love towards each other, the devil torments the parents with the reactions of the children. That's important. In other words, when the parents fight and their children are reacting, when the children become unruly, when their children um, 
causing problems, that torments the parents. And the torment comes because the parents are at fault in the first place for what they did. Love, harmony and understanding between the parents are what are required for the children. This provides a great sense of security and certainty. Isn't that very, very powerful? Love, harmony and understanding between the parents, that's why those married talks were very important, is what's important for the children. If there's love between the parents, if there's harmony and understanding, then that will give the children security and certainty, confidence, stability, a mentally balanced mind. The behaviour of children is directly related to the state of the parents. Directly related. Parents, a bad example, children will be misbehaving. Parents are good examples, parents have got love, harmony, understand, children will be better. When the children are hurt by the bad behaviour of the parents towards each other, they lose the strength and desire to progress in their lives. Now we're coming to something which is, to me, uh, earth-shattering. When the children are hurt by seeing the bad behaviour of their parents, the way the parents are towards each other, the children lose the strength and desire to progress in their lives. Their lives are constructed poorly and the foundation of their soul is in constant danger of collapsing. Collapsing. And that's why adults, when something is difficult, when something's like pressure to them, they collapse within themselves. They can't take it. So they either go into denial, where they pretend it's not happening, or they've got to take alcohol or drugs, or they go into other things because their souls are just falling apart, collapsing. They have no, it says here, they don't progress in life. And that is a picture of today's youth and a lot of people today. They don't have much zest for life. Depression, boredom, lifelessness. Something's missing, something's wrong with these people and it's very, very difficult. Some worse, some better. And the doctors just say, well, it's a mental illness. Well, we know it's a mental illness, but what's wrong? See, in the old days, with Freud, he's talked about this Freudian psychology where they used to, in the 60s, it was a big fashion, that a lot of people would go to psychiatrists, sit on a couch, lie on a couch, and open up all their pain. Because Freud knew, correctly, that a lot of the people's behaviour, a lot of their neurotic behaviour, a lot of their mental 
problems come from their childhood. So what Freud tried to do is he tried to, he brought up this field of psychiatry where they would sit down with the patient and make the patient open up. And what happened was that that went on for a few decades. But a lot of those people who opened up, opened up things that were very difficult, very difficult. And they noticed that there was a high suicide rate with those patients. Because Freud, as an atheist, thought, why do we need the church? But the church has been doing that for years, where the priest has this person in front of them and the person opens up its, the soul. What's the difference? They try to say it's similar. No, not similar. What's the difference? Well, firstly, Freud didn't care about sins. He encouraged people, well, if you want to do that, if you want to have homosexual relationships, you want to do this, you want to do that, it doesn't matter, whatever. Didn't care. So to them, sin was not a factor. God was not a factor. Repentance was not a factor. But in the church, when a person goes to a proper spiritual father and opens up their soul, firstly, it's a mystery. And during that mystery, the grace is present. When the priest reads the prayer over the person's head later on, that person gets grace. No grace is given when the person sits on one of Freud's couches. No grace is given. When the grace is given, it helps the person to heal. It helps the person to be calm, calm down. But when they open up these things coming from within and there's no grace, as Elder Porfirio says in a different section, there's no grace. The grace is what helps the person to be healed. And that's why a lot of them used to commit suicide. It didn't work. It made them worse. The grace of God needs to be there to help the person through the pain and to help the person in the healing process which doesn't exist when you go... Now, I'm not saying that psychologists don't help a little bit and things like that. And some people, as Father John Christiankin wrote in someone to a letter, said, should my father go to a psychiatrist? And he goes, well, because he doesn't really have much to do with the church, then send him. Send him, because he's inaccessible to the grace. He doesn't want. But when a person has the grace of the church... I'm not saying for you that you never go. Sometimes people might need that because it could be a chemical imbalance and things like that. But you do both, at least do both. You go to the church for healing and then you, if you need to go there, you might have to take some medication and you go there. I've noticed that people who do both, they get better quickly. So it's very important that. He said that when children are brought up without love and affection, when there's all these traumas in the household, their soul is in constant danger of collapsing, of imploding, just falling in. 
that's a lot of people today. I was dealing with a, a boy, he's older now, but um, as he was growing up, he was uh, in a house where the father was all the time putting him down because that particular boy had hereditary problems of one of the side of the family there was mental illness. So you already had that. The mother was dysfunctional. She had problems, so she couldn't really give proper love because she was abused herself. And then the father was very harsh, screaming, shouting. And that child, as it grew up, it couldn't take any criticism at all, anything, nothing at all. If he said anything, he would become black, and then it's like his soul would implode. It was like he would just fall into himself and become really, really disturbed. And I told those parents, I don't see them now, but I told those parents, that child's sick. That child's sick. And I said, the first thing you'll notice is he'll start going to the room. That happened. He'll start cutting off from people. That happened. He'll be very closed. That happened. That's what you call in play, and that's a lot of us. A lot of us are like that. We, when we can't take any criticism, we can't listen to anything like that, and then we go, boom. That's not healthy. And that's why the doctors are making a lot of money if they're, if they're psychiatric medication. The psychiatric medication helps people not to collapse in their souls. It makes them not kind of feel the pain of being reprimanded, of being failures or of being told they're false or whatever. Not all, but a lot of them. I've noticed with mentally people that are mentally ill, a lot of them, it's all to do with pride and not being able to take any criticism at all. And they need the medication. Now, in the church, what does the church teach us? humility and that God can heal us so we come to the church to be healed and those who do that they are less in need of this medication now does that mean that people that listen to this talk are going to go and throw away the medication you can't do that you can't abruptly stop medication now if you are people who are have done your work with the psychiatrist or the doctor whatever you go to okay you continue on that but then go to the church Simultaneously, you get the help of the church. You get prayers read, you get holy oil, you drink holy water, you confess, you commune. I remember one guy who went to Greece and he went to see a psychiatrist because he had certain problems. But he went to this particular psychiatrist because he was Christian, he was orthodox, he was very faithful. So he opened up and said a few things and the psychiatrist said to him, which is really amazing, he said... So how's your spiritual life? And the person goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, do you confess? Do you commune? Do you go to church? And it's interesting that that particular psychiatrist was a believer. And he knew that a lot of people can get better with proper participation in the church's life. We'll just do a little bit more. Now, Elder Porfirio says, I'll give you two examples. Let's go through his first example. Two sisters came to see me. One of them had gone through some very uh, 
distressing experiences and they asked me what was the cause of these. I answered them, it is because of your home. It stems from your parents. So two sisters came, they had problems and the, they said, and the elders said, it comes from your home, it, it's because of your parents. These are things you've inherited from your mother. She said, but my parents are such perfect people. They're Christians, they go to confession, they receive communion, and we, both of us, had a religious upbringing. And then the girl, one of the girls says, unless it's religion that is to blame, like being sarcastic, so if we're brought up religious, is it because religion is to blame? How come we're, we're like this then, if we were going to church and all that? I said to them, the older says, I don't believe anything you're telling me. I see one thing only, and that is that your parents don't live with the joy of Christ. On hearing this, the other sister said, Listen, Maria, the elder's quite right. Our parents go to confession, receive Holy Communion, but we never have any peace at home. Our father was constantly complaining about our mother, and every day either the one refused to sit at the table or the other refused to go out somewhere together. So you see what the elder is saying is true. So yes, they commune, yes, they confess, yes, they did whatever they had to do, but there was no love between them. And the elder says, that's your problem, that's why you've got all these problems. And then he said, what's your father's name? She told me. What's your mother's name? She told me. I said, well, the feelings you've got inside you towards your mother are not at all good. You see, the moment she told me her father's name, I saw his soul. And the moment she told me her mother's name, I saw her mother, and I saw that the way her daughter felt about her mother. Because he was enlightened, he was able to feel that just the kids to say the name of their parents, he sensed that those children were negative towards their parents, in particular the mother. Even though the children, what did they say before? No, no, it's not true. No, 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 our parents are perfect. Another example. Another day a mother came to visit me with one of her daughters. The mother was very distressed and broke down in tears. What's the matter, I asked. I'm in total despair over my eldest daughter. She threw her husband out of the house and deceived us all with many lies. What kind of lies, I inquired. She threw her husband out of the house ages ago and she didn't tell us anything. We would ask on the phone, how's your husband? How's he doing? And she would reply, oh, he's fine. He's just gone out to buy a newspaper. Each time she would think up some new excuse so we wouldn't suspect anything. And this went on for two whole years. So she said the parents didn't even know that the woman had, that the daughter had threw out her husband. A few days ago, we learned the truth from the husband himself when we bumped into him by chance. So I said to her, you are at fault, he said to the mother. You're at fault. It's you that's to blame, you and your husband, but most of all, you. So in other words, the saint's saying, 
the reason why your daughter's got problems now, the reason why she didn't open up, the reason why her marriage didn't work out, it's all to do with both of you, in particular the mother. What do you mean, she said angrily. I love my children to the point that I was never out of the kitchen. I had no life of my own at all. I took them to church. I was always telling them the right thing to do. How can you say that I'm to blame? I turned to her other daughter who was with her and asked, what do you think about this? She answered, the eldest correct mum, we never enjoyed a single day when you weren't quarrelling with dad. See the denial of the, of the mother? No, not me. I didn't do anything. My children never starved and I'm sure that they had good food. She cooked everything. But there was fighting. So it's better to give maybe a little bit less food, no fighting. The children would have been better off than having plenty of food and everything done for them and have the fighting. Do you see then how I'm correct, said the elder? It is you that is to blame. You traumatise the children. They are not to blame, but they are suffering the consequences of your behaviour with your husband. Full stop. I love that. You traumatise the children. People have it as nothing to fight in front of their children. One of the things that I've always had from the start of my priesthood to now is to tell parents not to fight in front of the children. Massive fights of parents fighting or hating each other, etc. And I would say to them, you've got to stop this. And I was patient for many years. I tried, I commemorated them, but they continued to go on and on and on and on and on. And at the end, I had to say goodbye. I cannot be part of this. I cannot be part of this. I cannot sit there and watch you killing your children spiritually, mentally. I can't do it. As you, some of you might say, oh, but as a priest, you should have patience. I'm talking about years. I try to help these people, some people, for 10 years. So don't actually judge. A lot of years. But when they tell me, I said, so are you going to stop? Are you going to stop doing that or try to stop? At least try, at least admit. Not once did they say, oh, my poor kids, what I'm doing. If they did that, that's all I need. That's all I need. I'll stay with them. I'll help them. They couldn't say that. All they would say is, yeah, but she did this and she did that. And then you say to the woman, but, you know, look look at the children. Look at, look at their faces. Look how traumatised they are. And then she would say, but he did this and he did that. Too much for me. At the end, it was just too much. They had no, you know what? Their ego, their pride was far more important than their children. They didn't have any love for their children. They had no love for the children. They had no mercy. They couldn't even feel an ounce of pain to say, what are we doing to our children? We need to stop. That's all I wanted to hear. At least to try. Once I hear that, 
them with the prayers of the church, the liturgy, then they can be helped. These people never even once said, Father, can you pray that we stop fighting? No. Oh, no, they fought to the end. And there's families where their children are horrible with psychological problems, with moral problems. It's just terrible. And a lot of these parents, as I said, they don't blame themselves at all. A psychological state, Elder Porfirio says, is created in a child as a result of its parents that accompanies it throughout its life. A psychological state is created in a child as a result of its parents and, and that accompanies it throughout its life. For what it goes through when it's young, it will go through. It's like the one that was smiling on the train and all these people. These things are carrying from when they were young. I put it in my own words to help you a bit. That is, this, this psychological state continues with the person throughout their life. Its later behaviour and its relationship with others are directly connected with the experience that it carries with it from childhood years. So, a person's behaviour as an adult, the person's relationship with others around them, including their spouse, or with their own children, which are all distorted and pretty wrong, is directly connected to the childhood experiences. The child grows up and develops, but deep down it does not change. Now that's important, like that boy I was talking to you about. I know it was disturbed from young, but suddenly it comes to puberty and he's growing up, he's becoming like a man. But the brain, the emotional state is back at eight years old. Eight years old, like that woman with the children. She was around 10, whatever she said she was. I forgot which one of what it was. These traumas can sometimes stop the child from developing emotionally. Doesn't develop. It stays stuck, whether it's five years old, 10 years old, some 12 years old, etc. So you see these people that are grown women, grown men, and you say, well, they're acting like babies. Look at the way that he reacted. Look at the way he's becoming angry. Or look, Like, it's all from the childhood. Because their children dealing with a body that's an adult and dealing with problems of adulthood but it's got the emotional state of a child the child grows up and develops but deep down it does not change the saint says this can be seen even in the smallest expression of their life even little things for example you get a craving for food and you want to eat you take something and eat it then you see something else and you want that. You feel hungry and think that if you don't eat, you'll feel faint and you start to tremble. You're afraid you'll lose weight. This is a psychological state that can be explained, he says. Perhaps you never knew your father or your mother or you feel deprived and hungry, poor and weak 
and this psychological reality is expressed as a reaction, which is in this case the weakness of the body. So he says that some people can have psychological problems, so this person eats and then has the thing, oh, I'm hungry, if I don't eat, I'm going to get weak, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to do that. So there are people like that. And he says that problem, physical of wanting to eat, comes from the childhood. And I added some more things. Some people um, hold their anxiety when they're traumatised, whatever, in their stomach. Some get headaches. This is from the childhood, how they used to react. Each reacts differently with trauma. So some children, they get sore stomachs. Sore stomachs, sore stomachs, sore stomachs. What's wrong with them? Something's wrong. It's sick because of what it sees or something's happening. Headaches, tension, neuroses, depression. Some children sleep. I know a girl that used to, um, the parents used to fight, 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 and she said that she used to go to her room and sleep. Then when she grew up, she continued to sleep. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Every single problem that she had, she would sleep. 15 hours, 16 hours in a row. All from the childhood because the only way she could turn off watching the parents fight was to go into the bed and sleep. Some people do other things. They do like uh, sexual promiscuity to the max. Others, they spend money. Others, they vandalise. Others, they join um, gangs. They have all these distractions, etc. So everyone's problems as an adult stems from the trauma that it received when the child was young, when you were young, including myself. So people don't think I'm talking down at you because they can say, oh, you're talking down at us or something. Some people have those paranoias. You know, um, I mean, I know that a lot of my problems that I've got stem from the childhood. What they are exactly, I don't know. Who knows? Was it from the womb? Is it from hereditary? Is it after? Was it breastfed a long time? Was I ignored? I don't know. But I know that a lot of my mental problems, a lot of my problems come from that. So when I'm talking to you, I'm not talking down. I'm talking from my own experience too. And I've helped people who have come to the discovery that a lot of their problems come from that. In other words, we've got disabilities. Now, some people are born, they've got physical disabilities. Maybe they don't see properly, they've got eye problems. Some people, children, have got to take insulin. We understand now, oh, they've got a disability. Some people can't walk, they've got a disability. That's okay, we understand that. Some of the saints had disabilities, physical disabilities. That doesn't stop us to become spiritual. But why don't we actually say that we can have a mental disability? And then why don't we, instead of going and tearing our hair and saying, oh, look at the way I am, whatever I am, why don't we offer our mental disabilities, which we all have, to God and say, this is, this is what I've got. I've got this disability for whatever reason. We can use our disabilities to help us gain humility. And when we gain humility, what do we get? The grace of God. What do happens then? We become holy. That's why a lot of the saints also had mental disabilities. Some of them, where you say, oh, some of them were filled for Christ. Some of them were acting 
and some of them were mentally ill. They had mental problems because of their childhood. But they still became saints because they offered their mental disability to God. Why do we have to hide it? Why don't we just admit we've got problems? And that's what the elders of Optina used to say. Let's use all our weaknesses and whatever we've got and, and say to God, this is what I've got, and be humble. St. Paul had a problem, and his problem, it says, was a thorn of, thorn of the flesh, which he said Satan. Now, what it was exactly, the fathers don't know. Some demonic problem was happening to him. And St. Paul prayed to God and said, take this away. He prayed three times. Then Christ spoke to him and said, no, you will keep that because when you're weak, then you're strong. What does that mean? When we admit that we're weak, what do we do? We ask God for help. So when we ask God for help, then we get his grace. Then we're strong. Now, I want to end on just this here now because I don't feel well. So we'll just do this and hopefully... The... I'll give you an example. The memory of Saint Panagis, which in full is Paisios Basia. This is not Saint Paisios here. This is a saint who was born in 1801. He was born in Kefalonia, which is the island next to where my father was born. My father was born in Ithaca, Right next door is Kefalonia, so really it's like very similar. And he, was, he showed from childhood a lively intelligence and a great love for reading of the holy books. On his father's death, he had to take over the care of his mother and sister and began to exercise the function of schoolmaster, despite his youth. Back in those days, people weren't educated, so he became a schoolteacher, a very young but he resigned very soon in order not to make compromise between his faith and his patriotic feelings under pressure from the British occupiers. In those days, the British ruled those, a lot of those islands there in Greece and carried on his profession for some time in private until the day when he decided to break off all links with the world and abandon his family and his career, became a monk in the Vlacherina Monastery on the island of Dios, whatever that is, I don't know where that is, at his mother's insistence, he returned to Kefalonia without ever renouncing the ascetic way of life that he followed in his life. Whatever the circumstances, he still continued to be an ascetic. He was ordained priest at the age of 35 and devoted himself entirely from then on to the service of the church. He used to serve liturgy nini every day. He used to preach often. And uh, he was a great example of a person who follows the way of the gospel. He had many virtues. He stood in church like a stone pillar, and when he came out, it was to give alms to the poor. He visited the poor. He helped people that were lost back to the church. He also refused to be appointed to a parish in order to avoid material worries and pressures. Following the examples of St. Erasmus, who's also from Kefalonia, and St. Anthemos the Blind, St. Panagis taught the people and shed the grace of God among them without ever abandoning his hermitage. He always went to celebrate in the chapels all over the countryside where as soon as they learned of his presence, the people would run to come to the liturgies that he would serve. He had sold his family 
possessions and given all to the um, poor. When he went into a town, he was always followed by a lot of poor women and gave all he had to the point of depriving himself even of food. So he was very open-hearted and gave a lot of money to the poor and food. As a second Saint Nicholas, the wonder worker, he knew which family was in special need and intervened to support or to give hope. His charity was moreover mingled with audacity and he often went into a shop, opened up the till, took the money out so he can give to the poor. One day a baker refused to give him what he asked and his dough stopped rising. Saint Panagis had acquired the gifts of insight and prophecy which he exercised to help the souls of people. To those who were soon to die a bad death, he recommended they go to confession or he warned with veiled words those who were about to commit grave sin. Once on a rainy night, meeting a man who he knew was preparing to commit sin, he cried out to him, sin, sin, go back, go home. At another time, a mother who had lost her two sons in succession was seized with depression and she was going against God because she lost her two sons. The holy priest hurried to her house and when she refused to open to him, because she had it out for the priest as well, reviling him, telling him off, he opened the door with the sign of the cross. Going into the living room where he found pictures of the two dead men, the two brothers. The portraits came to life and taking out pistols, killed each other. St. Panagis then revealed to the mother that they have fallen in love with the same woman and that if God didn't take them away, they would have, one would have killed one of the others, which would have been a greater evil. On yet another occasion, he went into our house where the pot was bubbling away, Wayne for guests and he overturned it because a poor man had come to them and they had sent him away without giving him anything. But these abundant gifts of God were not given to Saint Panayis without his being tormented, quote, by a thorn in the flesh. This is the part I want to talk to you about. About 10 years after he was made a priest, he began to be troubled by a nervous illness that made him lose control of himself. He would shout, he would shave off his beard and hair, he would throw out of doors objects that came to him, he would just throw things out of the house. When he came to himself later, sometimes this crisis would last for six months as a mental illness. He attributed the illness to him being a sinner. Every two or three years he would get sick. And in the last years of his life, he would get this illness every year. In the end, he was bedridden for five years. He was not, however, deprived of the gifts of prophecy and the consolation of souls. And the people did not abate any of their affection and devotion for him. Even though he, was, he showed this behaviour which was really bad, the people still loved him. On the contrary, all who were afflicted or found themselves in difficulty knew that the door of his room was always open and the holy priest never stopped being the lodestone and centre of the church life of the whole of Kefalonia. He had acquired such authority that he intervened often energetically to correct injustice or reprimand those responsible for immoral acts 
and was always listened to as the voice of God. After having endured his long illness and humiliating illness, yes, mental illness can be humiliating. See, humiliating illness that some thought it to be a sort of maybe he was acting like a fool for Christ, but he wasn't, as a cross with resignation and thanksgiving Saint Panayis fell asleep in 1888. For two days and nights, the faithful came to venerate his body and his commemoration had never ceased to grow spontaneously, not only in Kefalonia, but in the whole of Greece, especially when they found his relics in 1976. And the reason why I read that is because he had a humiliating mental illness. Did it stop him becoming holy? No. So therefore, all our problems that we acquired from our youth doesn't mean that we can't become saints and be saved. Don't make excuses. Yes, some of us are really, really have bad disabilities with that, but we have the examples of the saints who also had problems it didn't stop them because they offered their illness to God and said, I'm sick, humbled them, and God gave them more grace like St. Paul, who also suffered from some illness, satanic illness, and it didn't stop him of becoming the great St. Paul of the church. Okay, stand up please. Through the prayers of all your fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, and save us. Amen. For those who are interested, I have here an icon of the saints, the exact icon that's there. You're welcome to have it. Sí,